Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. and Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys continue their seventh annual March to Halloween. Let's be honest here, folks, it's way more of a drunken stumble to Halloween, but they like March to Halloween, so we're going to go with that, as they discuss the spooktastic 1988 cinematic rock and roll nightmare that is Black Roses while smoking the Desert Rose Cigar from Southern Draw, paired with a truly horrific amount of tasty craft beers. Sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Good evening, fellow miscreants. Y'all doing all right this evening? Yeah, we're we're doing good. Damn, it's good to see your faces. Doctor is back in the house. Uh... Speaking of the doctor, something happened to me a a few days ago, and the fact I'm still thinking about it made me decide to share it with y'all, if that's cool. Although I've actually, I have actually shared it with the doctor already. Oh, I was actually on, I was on the phone with him before it happened, and then I got back on the phone immediately after it happened. This incident, and I, 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 the fact that I'm still kind of laughing about it and thinking about it, I was like, what the hell? I'll, I'll clue you guys in. So, uh, Monday night, uh, I go to order uh, pizza from my local brewery. They have a, a pizza truck, and they tell me they're out of pepperonis before I can place my order. And I'm like, all right, thanks, but no thanks. So I hang up. I try to call the other pizza place in town. We only have two. A nine-state killing spree began. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I just got a, I kept getting a busy signal, so I'm like, everybody in my house wants pizza. I want pizza. There's going to be no family of four, it takes forever to come to a decision anyway. I'm not going to go back to the drawing boards and try to come up with some other game plan. So I'm like, you know, fuck it. So there's a town nearby that has a pizza we all like. And I order a pizza. I'm like, I'm going to go. It's about 20 minute drive. I'm going to go pick up the pizza. As I'm heading down there, I called the doctor and uh, we're catching up. Uh, he just got back from his big trip to 
Arizona. We kind of hadn't talked in a while. We're just kind of shooting the shit. And then I get there and I'm like, uh, all right, man, I'll call you right back. Let me just run in here and get this pizza. Shouldn't be, shouldn't, shouldn't be more than a minute. Well, several minutes later, uh, maybe 15, doctor. Uh, At least I was actually thinking of calling the authorities. <laughs> I, I get back in the, in the car and I call the doctor and I'm like, oh, you're not going to believe this shit. So I walk in this place and I'm not going to name any names. But of course, it's Central Texas. So I don't know if you've heard there out in the, our listeners throughout the rest of the world. COVID is over here. It doesn't exist. So I go into this place and it is packed to the gill. They have this little area to pick up your pizza. It's kind of separate from the restaurant. And there's like, there's like 15, 20 people packed in here, no masks, just on top of each other. And and this place is just overwhelmed. And there's this lady, probably mid sixties. By all accounts, her physical appearance would be what my oldest daughter would describe as a Karen. Um, that's my mother's name, by the way. I, I know, but you, I didn't come up with calling these chicks Karens. That was done way outside me. Tut, Yax, you know what I'm talking about when I say Karen, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, a busy-bodied white woman who makes it her business to get up in everybody else's business, also a.k.a. racist, sexist, homophobic, and... Well, something else. I can attest. I can. I can attest to uh, to the doctor's mother being none of those things. She's one of my favorite women ever. I I, I love Karen, his Karen. But uh, this chick's tapping her pocketbook up and down on the counter, like right in front of the register, just. And I can tell I've walked into something. She's. This is happening right now again. I'm kind of just trying to find my way to sneak up there and get my pie amongst this sea of people and i could tell it's chaos like something's going on and all of a sudden this little italian guy it's a real italian place really good stuff he comes up to her and you could tell by his face he's already been dealing with this chick and these these two college girls that are kind of in it's not really a line it's just a, a this massive body but they're they're right next to me and the way they're giggling I can tell it's about this lady. And so when he comes up to her with this pizza, this pizza box, one of those girls is like, oh, this is going to be good. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? And the little Italian guy's like, I know uh, you said no black olives, but uh, they made it with black olives. And he opens the box and he's like, is this okay? And the lady's like, we've been over this. I ordered no black olives. And this is the second time they've made two pizzas now with black olives. And he's like, so you want me to have them make it again? And she's like, yes, I would like them to make it again and not just pick them off of this one. Cause I can tell. And he's like, okay, no problem. And she's like, how long is it going to be? He's like, eh, we, as fast as we can do it, as fast as we can. We're doing the best that we can, ma'am. He goes off and these chicks are these two college chicks are cracking up. And this lady turns around to the crowd. Just for the record, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And 
the guy's still there, like packing up the box. He, she turns around. I am not impressed by your best. And then she just kind of turns and saddles up on the other side of the counter. And these two chicks are doing everything they can. And everyone's kind of laughing under their breath about this lady. Yeah. And I start thinking about it. I'm like, wow, I've been so secluded for what a year and a half now, if not more. I haven't seen like this used to be doctor. And I used to joke whenever we'd go anywhere, there would be these people that would cause scenes and, 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 and make, you know, uh, I hadn't seen one in real life. I just see everybody bitching on, on Facebook and out, out on the internet about the, this guy. I was like in the presence of a real, a real life, you know, horrible person. But the fact that she, what she said, and I, and I kind of started to laugh. For the record, I just had this thought, like, oh, how great would it have been if that little Italian guy back there was like, oh, for the record, let me get out my record of keeping. Uh, let me make a uh, annotation here. Uh, she's not a happy. Uh, she's super uh, unhappy with it. Like, gets his little filing cabinet. And then, would you say, doctor, like, he just picks up this greasy trash can and sticks the file in, dude? I thought that would have been hilarious. Mrs. Uh, Mussolini, uh, she's not impressed by our best. Uh, I'm just saying that some people don't like black olives. It just was the first actual face-to-face uh, experience I've had with one of these people in so long. I, I forgot that I forgot that they existed. And on one hand, I was like, "Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm back in society now. I've, I've, I've had this friend." On the other hand, I was like, "This is maybe why I shouldn't stay." home like i don't miss this like i haven't had to deal with these people in almost two years this is maybe i should just you know people have gotten worse people have totally gotten worse they've lost what little civility they've had they've lost even more yeah but do you see it in in person or do you see it online uh not to that degree like i haven't of course i've never go i never go anywhere I, I, i get to see it all the time Okay. Oh, well, okay. you're, you're, sure you do, yeah. Yeah, boy, uh, you you have been bartending and, <laughs> and throughout this entire pandemic. I, I'm sure you've I'm sure you've seen some things. Have oh, you the had- best is always, you know, they will order something, and for whatever reason, I'm like, you know what? It's pizza. It's a beer. It's it's a it's a mixed drink. Whatever. You didn't buy a fucking car. It's not a goddamn yacht. You spent five dollars. You spent twenty dollars. Oh my God, we're supposed to just remake all this shit and then you're going to hand me over one bill? Fuck you. Yax, I'm saying I don't want mushrooms in my sample player. I'm yeah, not I'm happy, Yax. I'm not happy. And I'm hey, not impressed with your says. new substitution's best. Oh, my favorite is when they, you know, they want a cup, they want, they want some mixed drink. You know, they, they order a martini. They get it. They take a sip. Oh, I don't like this. Well, uh, what's wrong with it? I mean, is there a particular thing? Is, is, uh, did you not like it? Did you want it made with gin? Did you want, you know, it to be, you know, I was like, well, I've never had a martini. What? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> well, and they're like, well, what's in it? Liquor. It's liquor with liquor with more liquor. That's it. There's no mixers. There's no sugar. This is I was like, well, I was like, 
you should really ask if you've never had something before and then decide to fucking have it. And now you make me just waste like two shots of alcohol in five fucking minutes making this bullshit for you. No, that's when that's when you need to go. Uh, I, I feel like I'm from uh, Goodfellas. Fuck you, pay me. Oh, you didn't like, like it. You didn't like your drink. Fuck you, pay no, me. No, I, I already tell him that. Like, I'm sorry, but it's like, can I get something else? No, absolutely. Didn't know what was in it. Fuck you, pay me. Well, I don't want to be charged for this. You already drank it. I can't take it back. Can't pour it back in the bottle. Was, I the, was I the only one during Kate's uh, story going respect the pizza parlor? I should have said that. Hey, lady, respect the pizza parlor. Yeah, you've always had to deal with those, you've always had to deal with those assholes, though. Would you say that in obviously post pandemic is not the term to use, but would you just say like in the last four to six months or whatever, would you would you say you've seen more of those sorts of people, or has this just been kind of a constant for you over the years? Oh, it's always a constant. Okay. Someone, I mean, there there's always someone who's going to bitch about something and for whatever reason. But the thing about it is it amazes me is that, you know, I, I was like, I don't know what they do for a living. I don't know what kind of interaction any one of these people do. But I'm like, would you expect someone to walk into where you work and to berate you or to call out shit? For whatever reason, at your place, I was like, you know, hey, you know, can I, you know, can I go to, back to your house, kick open the door? Oh, fish for dinner last night? Not happy. Not happy. And I'm just like, I would have probably, I would have probably said something had I seen it. For the record, you think I'm going to waste time listening to you? Get the fuck out of the way. We're all here for our food. I don't know, Kate and I had a hundred different responses that we wish that this Italian guy had said to her, uh, just in, in the Italian accent. That uh, you know, we we just had a hundred different like real smart ass responses that that we wish he had said. Um, but to Kate's point, I think this is really the interesting aspect of this is that I'm I'm not online, so I don't I don't know what how crazier people are with social media and Facebook. I, I do believe. Uh, because as Cade said, we had run into these people before. Yaks, you were one of the more famous ones, the expert at the pizza wings and things. We've been talking about that for, for 15 years. That one guy, I guess they don't want my money. You know, yeah. so we, we've yeah. seen people before. But I think that what's interesting about what Cade's saying is I have uh, in the last, what is this, mid-September, in the last four and a half months or so, resumed more of a normal life that I wasn't living before I had received a, uh, my, my vaccination. Um, and I, I do kind of think that there's, it, am I just, am I just seeing it because I no, it's trending up. months at home? Uh, I feel like there is more when I go out, I'm seeing more interactions that I didn't see before. I, I, I saw, you know, a person beeped their horn at somebody in a shopping center parking lot. And like the guy, like threw the door of his car open and like threw his arms up, like what? Come on. And this was in, this was in button down white bread flower mound over here. It was like, it wasn't, it wasn't like some MMA guy. You're like, Oh, I fuck with the wrong time. It was some pencil dick that was ready to get out of his car and start some shit. Cause somebody beeped a horn. I, I believe there is more of these interactions these than before. 
Well, there is. I mean, people have been, you know, they've been sequestered. They've been, a lot of people have been really, they're in areas that they just. Their inner assholes have been brewing. Right. They have had no, (laughs) and forever they haven't actually been in an interaction where someone is going to fucking call them on it. Uh, I was like, don't berate another human being in front of me because I fucking hate that. Because I've seen that. I, I, I hate when people come into my place and just. You know, you know, like I said, I'm here to spend money. You got any specials? <laughs> I'll admit when I when I thought of sharing this story, I, I didn't consider Yak Boy uh, that he might possibly run into a million of these chicks a year. <laughs> uh, it was it was just such a foreign thing to me, having not been out much. Uh, I, I just I, I, I'm still and, and Yak Boy, have you ever had a customer use that phrase for the record? No, but I've had them use the "I'm not happy." I don't care what fuck what you are. So for for the record, it's really priceless, though. For I'm the record, the- is priceless. I just want someone to keep a little filing cabinet under the counter, like oh, there you go. It's for the record. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, for the record, I'm ready to. Uh, I, I would like to light up this. Thing. Okay, uh, I think that's a great idea, Tut. Uh, let, let's forget about that pizza lady. Um, I just can't forget about her, damn it. <laughs> and I shared that story when I got home, uh, and it's totally backfired. Now, whenever I tell my daughters to do something, like get ready for bed or brush their teeth, I'm not happy, Dad. I'm not happy. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. I am happy. Ooh. Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 146. 146. This is our second Ooh. year in a row of being stuck in the 140s. <laughs> That certainly it feels like two years of one. I, I feel like we, I feel like we've been doing now. Granted, we drink a lot. We could have done like one forty three five times in a row. I should probably I should probably go check that out. Uh, really on show two seventy seven. I was like, you know what? We'll hit one fifty around June. Somehow we're still at one forty six, and we haven't missed an episode. Uh, tonight is our seventh annual drunken march to Halloween. Oh, Seven oh, years we've been doing this. Boom. Uh, we are continuing full speed ahead, and I have a feeling we're going to have some fun with this one. You boys ready to rock and fucking roll? Oh, rock out. Yes. Really yes, out. I am. Yeah, yeah baby. I uh, got the Deathgasm shirt on. I see it. Tut's got his Deathgasm shirt. I got my Tom Atkins fucking – I was telling the guys before the show, I, I haven't worn this in a, quite a while. When I used to wear this, I was about 60 pounds heavier. It's more like a Tom Atkins nightgown now, but <laughs> – uh, that's okay. That, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Let me just uh, get it situated there. Well, folks, uh, it is our second entry into our uh, March to Halloween. We had really a lot of fun with girls with balls last time, Doctor. You missed that one. Uh, a, re- a really fun uh, horror comedy uh, that impressed all of us. And uh, I think we're going to keep things going in the right direction tonight. I hope so. So here's what we do. Every episode, we pair a premium cigar. We don't smoke non-premium cigars here, just the premiums, with a craft beer and a feature film. And we try to make them all work together somehow symbiotically on a pairing level, even if it is uh, a stretch at times. We make it happen. Uh, we've yet to do a show where it just made no, no fucking sense. Uh, maybe that'll be episode 147 which we should get to in about 18 months. 
Um, so let me go ahead and introduce the cigar, boys, and we can get this party started. Tonight's cigar, and it is a beauty. Man, that silky wrapper is just a, mm-hmm. a thing of, of marvel. It's got a graham cracker and hay smell. And a, yeah, I was like alfalfa with a little cocoa powder. Oh, man. Okay. Um, the cigar is the Rose of Sharon Desert Rose by Southern Draw. This is the 6x44 Lonsdale Vitola. Uh, it's not a Lancero. It's sh- shorter. It's got a bigger ring gauge. And I actually much prefer the, the Lonsdale to the uh, – I'm not a big Lancero guy. Yeah. So I, I was really excited when they decided to come out uh, with the Lonsdale. It is an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, Nicaraguan Habano binder. And the filler is Dominican Republic, uh, Peloto Cubano, and Honduras Corojo 99. I will save price point till last. A uh, little backstory. The cigar made its debut at the 2009 IPCPR trade show, now the PCA trade show. It is a new expression, the latest expression, of the Desert Rose, which took the number three spot on our top ten cigar list for 2019, and that initial blend of the Desert Rose was a spin on Southern Draw's original Rose of Sharon cigar, which was our number one rated cigar of 2017. Remember that one, boys? I think it was Pretty in Pink, maybe? Mm-hmm. Pretty in Pink. Yep. Uh, I, I'll just go ahead and say this. We're obviously fans of the line, number three and a number one rating on our year-end list. The Rose of Sharon is a stogie that I smoke a lot of to this day. It's one of my favorite all-time Connecticut cigars, so I'm very excited, as I'm sure you boys are, to set this attractive Lonsdale on fire and see what's what. Y'all excited? Yes, yes, yes. That's so exciting. Fire that bad boy yeah, up. Yeah, I'm, I'm not waiting on uh, you. It does, it, it does have a closed foot. I was waiting for Tut to tell me he wasn't getting anything on the cold draw. Uh, that's always a fun little exercise. Um, tell us what you're getting, Tut, while we let up. That is a little bit of pepper on the back part of that draw. It's also a little present on the uh, on the retro hill, which is nice. Uh, getting a nice, not a, uh, it's not a leather, but it's kind of like a set up, stepped up earth a little bit. It's like a bright earth. Uh, so it's like right on, right in between that the earth and leather. So it plays nicely with that pepper coming over the top in the retro hill. I've never heard that uh, descriptive for a cigar bright earth well it's better than muddy dank swamp boy that is a really nice crisp white pepper on the nose and uh yeah just a, a, you're right it's not leather it's it's a it's a very bright earth <laughs> why not bright earth light bright <laughs> where's that on that pinwheel from uh And there is, uh, I am on that draw also getting a little bit of uh, cracker and uh, a faint touch of cedar as well. Uh, ooh, yeah. That retro hail's nice. The Desert Rose mm-hmm. definitely gives you a little more kick on the on the retro than the original Rose of Sharon. I agree. I agree. Uh, which was its intent. It's blended to be a little more, a little more stronger. Uh, all right. Well, let's let these suckers uh, warm up a little bit. Is, is that copacetic with what you're getting yet? Yes, it is. All right. Well, and I'm, I'm still unsure about the bright earth. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's I'm sure it's, it's a on thing. the pinwheel. It's a pinwheel somewhere. It's on the pinwheel. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to put that in the record. 
Well, Yaks, you're in the hot seat now as our resident beer expert. We've already established that as you're the co-owner of O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown Historic Temple, Texas. And I'm sure after listening to that intro, people are just going to flock to talk to you at the bar and order some drinks. Yeah, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Fuck you, Peggy. Don't disrespect the pub. Uh, you'll find Cody to be an excellent and warm conversationalist as long as you aren't a dickhead. Exactly. Right? That's true. Thank you. Thank you. He, he, he does not suffer dick bags well. Um, actually, you do. I take that back. You're, you're a lot more patient with dick bags than I am. Uh, but we are, we are always blessed to have Yak Boy here for seven years introducing our beers. Because in the old days, he just had one job to do. Talk about one beer because we'd all be here in the corner of No Hope where I am now. And we'd talk about uh, one beer and we'd all sh- drink the same beer, compare notes. It was a beautiful thing. But now, thanks to... Uh, the COVID-19 shit show that we're still in the midst of. We're still in four different places, drinking four different beers, and we're still going to make it work, but now Yak Boy has a little more work on his plate. So, Yaks, why don't you tell us first what Tuttle is drinking? Good tight. He is drinking the McKinney Oktoberfest. There, uh, Marzen Lager. My O'Brien Stein. Oh, he's got his O'Brien's Oktoberfest Stein. Good, good move, Tut. You get po- you'll the, get a half a point added to your parent score for that. Oh man! Wait. Sorry, accent. All right, from Tut's Brewing, located of course in McKinney, Texas, for which the McKinney Oktoberfest is named. Five point five percent, twenty IBUs, which is standard. Of course, it is a Marzen, which was the traditional. German beer, uh, Marzen being for March. Uh, the old rule was in years past, no beer could be brewed basically after March, right? Right in the beginning of April, they had to stop brewing. They could not start again until basically September. I don't know why, but that was like a rule. So they, it was just that they, you know, it was sort of like they named it. And they, typically, the beer was made, uh, had more alcohol to help to get it to survive those so is months. Why, is that why Oktoberfest kicked in? Because it's like, yeah. oh, it's the end of September. We get to brew again. Let's have a festival. People think that, you know, from, from that history, but actually, no. Oktoberfest originally was a festival held by uh, then – uh, King Ludwig as a uh, basically it was a wedding party. Oh, okay. So and it originally it was held just for the nobility, uh, you know, beer, food. They did that had like horse racing and and you know just all this entertainment and games, and it became very popular. It, it was so popular that they said, "Oh, let's do it again next year." And then and then eventually it became open to everybody. And to the just kept Yes. Uh, Oktoberfest used to be good before they let the unwashed masses come and join. I hear that. Uh, now, I mean, I think some, it, it, you know, for that basic, you know, two, three weeks that it takes place, some, I think on average, usually is about 7 million gallons of Mars and beers drank. Ooh. Wow. 
Well, uh, I'm not going to say on average right now, about five million people attend every year. So, geez, Tut, I'm not drinking seven million, but I've been drinking my son. Tut, before we move on, could you turn up your mic just a little bit? I'm having a little trouble hearing you, buddy. It's probably because of my weak voice. There we go. Is that good enough? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit better. There you go. You didn't really say much, but uh, we'll go with that. I'll let you know. <laughs> yes, okay. Okay. Buddy, I got to hear. We you. have, of course, done multiple Oktoberfest. Of course, we've done the Shiner Oktoberfest, the Great Shiner Oktoberfest debacle. <laughs> how, how many? How many times did we do that one? We did it twice. Episode okay. nineteen, and then again on episode fifty-eight. Completely, Ooh, oblivious. Oblivious. Completely oblivious that we had done it before. Uh, somehow we had a race. Gap, though. That's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's 40 episodes in between those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's saying something. Yeah. Listen, during the March Halloween, if you're ever uh, struggling to find what to pair with, the, you can never go wrong with an Oktoberfest. There's a million of them out there. Uh, you might as well say, if that's, your, if that's your jam, if you like that style. Yeah, and there's a ton of them new, especially these new breweries. I like Tup's Brewery, the stuff I've had from. They do the the full-grown adult guy, right? Yeah, uh, full-grown uh, full Jack. They do, yes. the, uh, they do the Juice Box IPA. Yep. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, I, Day of the Dead, I think, as well. They do uh, They do a lot of stuff uh, I've had from Tup's I've enjoyed. Are you, are you digging it, Tup? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's a good Marzen style. It's a good profile. It's a little bit brighter than some, uh, or right. I should say lighter. Brighter. Yeah, brighter's, my, brighter's my new adjective. I'm just going to use with everything. It's got bright malts. It's got bright malts. It's got a nice bright Christmas. Uh, Christmas. It's like it's good. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's right in the Mars on wheelhouse, ex- except it's a little lighter. Uh, it's not not as heavy as some Marsons can be. I bet that will actually pair very well with the cigar. It is going great with the cigar. Uh, the spice off the retro hail is coming right over the top of the palette wash of the Marzen, and it's a beautiful combination. By the way, speaking of that retro hail, I'm getting a vanilla, which is a signature thing of the Rose of Sharon and the Desert Rose. I am getting that kind of uh, back end after that pepper of a nice vanilla on that retro, and it's going really nice with that bright earth and cedar on the draw. Uh, yeah, that's, that's nice stuff. Uh, yeah. all right. Well, what's, uh, eeny, meeny, money. What is the doctor drinking? Yak boy. The good doctor is from legal draft brewing located there in wonderful Arlington, Texas. All their uh, views are accused Amber lager accused. I tell you, it takes not a accursed, accused. 5.5%, uh, about 15, 20 IBUs. It is a Vienna-style amber lager. The amber part actually it typically has more of a, uh, a, mal- a more malty aroma uh, and, uh, and a kind of a more, more of a slight sweetness to it. Okay. okay. I'm not sure I'm familiar with a, a Vienna-style amber. Is that fitting uh, what you're experiencing there, Doctor? Yes, and I like it. Okay. I, okay. I have not had anything from the legal draft beer company before. I think I had their uh, man that they're all legal themed beers. Uh, something like a uh, Juris Hoppus or yeah, um, habeas corpus. Oh no, it's it's habeas Hoppus, I think. Or okay, 
Hoppiest corpus. Hoppiest corpus. You get that. The uh, first time that I noticed these in the uh, local confectionery, and uh, uh, this is good. I like it. Okay, uh, Doctor, was there was there any uh, inclination towards pairing with tonight's movie or? Well, as you know, back in the 80s, many heavy metal and hard rock artists were accused of having albums that, if played backward, would deliver satanic messages to their children. Judas Priest actually spent several weeks on trial for such a thing. Uh, and, hey, good, uh, good tie that's, a bit, that's a bit of a stretch, I'll admit. No, no, that's a good tie-in. That's uh, a good tie-in. I, I was wondering what you were going to pull out of your ass, and that's actually pretty good. Uh, clearly the tonight's film, I think comes from some of those, uh, there were, there were people in the eighties that had, uh, uh, well, I can't call it a legitimate fear, but they were serious about the fear of it. Those, I mean, those, Hey doctor, would you say those parents were not happy? They weren't happy. <laughs> uh, My mom literally thought, uh, MTV was from the devil. Yeah. They, uh, no, actually, they actually went on the record. Well, and, and well, the good thing is, is there is actually one of those characters in this movie. <laughs> yes, there is. We're going to get into that that period of time in American history with where that was going on with the music industry and this specific character. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But, Doctor, way to make it work. And I know, you, uh, as, as usual, since we're all split up, you cannot currently smoke with us in your office uh, per OSHA regulations. But would you say that beer would go nice with a, a vanilla, bright, earthy cigar? I don't know what bright earth cigar means. For some reason, I keep thinking of the red clay tennis. Nobody, nobody does. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely uh, not red dirt. It's not red dirt. I. Th- this would not overwhelm <laughs> anything. It's the Boris Becker of cigars. I, I would think of Yvonne Lindell. This would yeah, he, yeah, he was a clay. He was a demon on the clay. This yeah. would be a good food beer. This would wash down a. I can see this going good. As Yax mentioned, it, the the as you can see, it it is a dark amber lager. Yeah, maybe a cheeseburger. Uh, I can see it going good with the old fish and chips, but I can also see uh-huh. a, a six or these. I can see these going good with some. I can see these really going go some wings. Uh, mm-hmm. This would this would pair well with a with a good cigar. Uh, it wouldn't. This isn't going to overwhelm anything. This isn't going to fight anything off. Okay. Uh, real quick, I got to get you back to the cigar. I'm now getting well. It was just kind of a generic vanilla creaminess on the back end of that retro ale. Now with that bright earth and cedar on the draw, I'm actually getting what are those things they put in banana pudding? Vanilla wafers? Oh, vanilla wafers. Those round little. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually getting a little vanilla wafers on the on the draw. Mm. I, that, you know, that's a good call because I was sitting here saying with that, you know, when you mentioned the gram on the just the the smell of the wrapper draw, and just it, it just I was like with that, and you had mentioned the vanilla. I was like, man, it's, it's almost like a little cookie. There's a cook. There's a vanilla wafer there. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Well, I am crazy, but uh, not. Crazy that to make that okay. All right, no NECA wafers. Uh, I have not had a vanilla wafer in many many years, but uh, that's what it reminded me of. So we'll go with that. Uh, Yak boy, up next, do yourself. Oh, that's all right. Oh, go go on, stand up, and just let's let's get this party started. Not happy. (laughs) I'm not happy either. 
For the record, I'm going to need another can of Accused. From uh, Bear Arms Brewing, uh, located in Waco, Texas, I'm having their Umbra Black Lager. Schwartz beer is actually the Umbra Schwartz beer. It is... So Umbra? How do, spell, how do you spell that? Umbra. U-M-B-R-A. Umbra. Not Umbros, like the shorts. Right. What is, what is, tell us more about it. Uh, it's actually a very old style of beer. Uh, uh, German style, obviously, Schwartz. Like the Schwartzwald, the Black Forest. Uh, not from that area, obviously, but uh, it's actually from uh, the oldest. The style itself actually goes all the way back to like the... Uh, 1390, I think, was the earliest recorded of the beer style. And it's uh, uh, there's a brewery today that actually the oldest, one of their older breweries, uh, going all the way back to like 1500s. Uh, uh, I may pronounce this Braunschweiger. Okay. I think that was the name that Arnold used in the last action hero. Yeah, I'm the famous comedian Arnold Braunschweiger. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, but uh, the the Schwartz beer, it's a uh, 5.2%. Uh, it's zero IBUs. It is, like I said, it is black lager. So basically, it is a it's a normal lager, but they basically use roasted malts. So it gives it almost a a dark. You get kind of like uh, the some of the flavors you would from like a stout with the, mm-hmm. those kind of roasted malts, but it's. I wouldn't say it has that 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 next level of heaviness from the it being that dark ale porter. This is just it's actually very light, even though it doesn't look it. But it's not a bright. It's a bright you wouldn't call oh. it a bright beer. A bright stout. Maybe it's my computer, but when it caught the light, yeah, because it looked like it all it was like a between black and like a real dark blue, like some kind of potion from a Death Stalker movie. It is. Is like right there, perfect. Yax, what what was your thoughts here uh, with the Umbra? I said Schwartzbeer. This is black, and we're talking about black metal. We're talking and about black roses. Black uh, roses. Is, I wouldn't I wouldn't call that black metal. That no no, no, no. I'm, not, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I was black. You're correct. Uh, black roses is the name of the movie tonight. There you go. Uh. Okay, well, that leaves me. What am I drinking? From Lone Pint Brewing, located in wonderful Magnolia, Texas, started back in 2012, the Yellow Rose IPA. Oh, yeah, Yellow Rose. We are well acquainted with it. 6.8%, 62 IBUs. Uh, We have, uh, you know, here recently, uh, you, you had featured from... Uh, Lone Pint on episode 144, you had their Jabberwocky, Imperial oh, right. We uh, reviewed the Room 101 cigar. Uh, the Yellow Rose is a it's a it's a smash IPA. It's a single malt, single hop. Uh, they simply they used all Mosaic hops, which also notably the Mosaic hops came out in 2012. It was a new strain, so. Oh, okay. Around the same time that they opened up, they decided to go with it for their lone pint with their yellow rose. Well, when I when I knew we were doing uh, the Desert Rose Cigar and the movie Black Roses, 
Um, I immediately knew I was going to feature the Yellow Rose IPA. This is an IPA I discovered um, during the pandemic because I've, uh, I've always done groceries curbside, but it's one I discovered. I, I always type in IPA into the grocery store website and see what's new. And I came across this Yellow Rose and it was by far my favorite uh, discovery as far as non, you know, I drink a lot of doubles and Imperial IPAs as far as just a straightforward 6% uh ipa it is awesome it just has a wonderful pour a beautiful uh aroma nice hot presence um without kicking your teeth out but it's up there you can definitely get the get the hops let me take a little sip here oh yeah they just they just give your tongue a nice little tingle there's absolutely no maltiness whatsoever uh that i detect uh, it's just smooth. It goes with every cigar I've ever paired it with. I will say this about the Yellow Rose, and I, I don't mean to deter business away from the the pub, Yak Boy, but this is one of those beers that I find is so much better in the bottle as opposed to on tap. Uh, I remember I got all excited the first time I came out of quarantine to the to O'Brien's pub and we all got together for the first time. I saw my my yellow my beloved yellow rose on tap, and I'm like, oh, I'll take one of those. It tastes to me, it tasted totally different on tap than it does in the bottles, um, and I don't know what to attribute that to. I have, I've never had a beer that dis, you know, with that kind of disparaging difference between bottle and tap. But uh, I encourage you to seek this one out in the bottle to get the experience that I get from. I love this beer, and it is going. Man, it's given this, this cigar has very little strength to it, even though it's an amped up version of the Rose of Sharon. Yes, there's a nice pepper on the nose, uh, but the fact that it's balanced with those delicate flavors of vanilla, vanilla wafers, cedar, bright earth, it's not there's nothing in this uh cigar that's kind of giving you any kind of pushback. And I think just would you say this was 60 something IBUs? Yeah, he said uh, 62. I think just that amount of bitterness adds a really nice uh, complexity to the pairing and it, it kind of gives your tongue a little bit of, a little bit of tingle. Uh, man, I, this is working out really well for me. I'm really digging it. All right, boys. Well, uh, by the way, construction on this thing, as with all Southern draw cigars, Beautiful burn line. Flawless. I did not cut my cigar. I just ripped off the little fishtail. I think they call that a, uh, was it a pesc? What's the Spanish word, Mexican word for fish? Uh, uh, Piscopo. No, that's that's Joe Piscopo. Pesci. Twin Towers. Next time <laughs> you're there, I suggest you take a ganders. It's got a, it's got a little uh, fishtail uh, twist to it. I just twisted that off, and that's all it needed. I, I did not cut the cigar at all, and it's drawing. I ended up cutting. I tried that. I it. Didn't go well. Hey, sometimes sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. This one actually, uh, so far, has panned out. Great draw, great smoke production, beautiful aroma. Tut, you look happy. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm getting a little bit of bright leather across the top of the retro hill now to go complement that bright earth. I'm joking. It's regular leather, and it wasn't. I'm sorry. It's not even leather. It's uh, cedar. I've got the cedar's creeping up more in that retro hill. It is. Uh... Okay. All right. Well, man, I love these. I love every variation of the Rosa Sharon, and this one is not disappointing. Well, folks, that leaves us one final uh, element to tonight's show. Uh, Are you ready? 
boys ready to rock? Yes, I've got, I've always. I've got my cheetah loincloth ready to go. 1988's Black Roses. Had, had any of y'all heard of this movie? Not Never. a chance. Mincy, you hadn't either? I had not heard of it. Excellent. And it saddens me. It saddens me that I had to wait until 2021 to find out such a movie was made. I was sad too, Yax. I, I, I made up for lost time. I've seen it four times now. <laughs> um, I, I, I both love when I discover these films, and I also just kind of kick my 14-year-old self in the ass, like, why weren't you finding this film? <laughs> uh, oh, no, don't get me wrong. I love it because, it, like I said, it's, it's, I love these movies, especially when you find out and you go and I, you sit down and watch it, and it's just like it's that beautiful time capsule. I just really like, does. Oh. Horror movies, I find horror movies, undiscovered horror movies, especially low-budget horror movies, from the 80s tend to capture little details about that time that a lot of other genres don't do. And for whatever reason, and this is definitely one of them, there's a lot of little touches in this film, like set design and just things yeah. that, took, that took me right back because 88 was just such a special kind of time and place uh, for me and for us. Um, I'm a big fan of, of time period pieces and uh, time period uh, films and TV shows. And they just don't hold up to this because like I said, I watched this and then I watched like the Goldbergs the uh, following night. And I was just like, Oh my God, you guys don't even, it's like, you're not even trying to be the eighties. Yeah. The, the ones that try the, the new stuff that, that tries uh, desperately, unless you unless you've got a, a really a, a director who's really passionate about recreating it and a budget to do it. Um, which, which is weird because I think with a show like the Goldbergs, I've only watched one episode cause my, our buddy, Jeremy Lawson, uh, an actor was on it once. Uh, but I've never actually watched any other ones, but it seems like that's the shtick is it takes place back then. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't imagine that's why mainstream America is watching that show for, for 80s a, uh, a, a cure, authenticity, a cure poster up in the girl's room or uh, the, the toys that the little kid's playing with. Like uh, so many little things brought back stuff to me, but we'll get into that. Uh, let me introduce the film properly. It deserves as it deserves. The screenplay was written by Cindy Sorelli, although she's credited on screen as Cindy Sorel. I'm not sure what that's all about. And it's directed by her then husband, John Fasano who also directed the music-themed horror flick. It came out the same year, or I'm sorry, one year earlier in 1987, Rock and Roll Nightmare, uh, which reminded me at the end of the show, it takes a very polar opposite approach to rock and roll and horror than this film, which is interesting. But get this, while he mostly worked on low-budget horror stuff, he wrote the screenplay for 1990's Another 48 Hours, and he's credited as a producer on 1993's classic Western Tombstone. Oh, wow. Interesting stuff. So, Mr. F- the Treat come out with Gene Simmons and the guy who played Skippy on Family Ties. That was my ultimate. When it becomes streaming, we will do that on a future March Halloween. That was earlier. I want to say that was maybe 86. Okay, that sounds right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up because that that is, to me, the the granddaddy of heavy metal horror movies. Uh, I, I just love that movie so much. But anyway, I want to real quick, speaking of Tombstone, we mentioned last uh, episode that we went out on our 
our annual uh, 86 trick or treat. I was right. Um, our annual dove hunt trip with the, the TNCC crew and some friends and young Paul, who we mentioned here on a few shows, he busted out with, at a, the, as we were settling in, man, I watched the most amazing movie last night, man. Have you guys ever heard of Tombstone? Now, keep in mind, this guy's in his 20s. Yeah, yeah. And Yax and I turned to each other. And our first instinct was like, how have you never seen Tombstone, dude? But they were like, oh, wait, he wasn't born when it came out. Or he was a baby when it came out. But, dude, to see him, like, dropping quotes and, like, talking about Doc Holliday, like, like it was so new to him. And, it it, it, like, when we were in college, we... We would re- we would recite those lines and watch that movie daily. Somebody, but to see somebody that was new and fresh, it was crazy. It was. I hope we didn't like weren't too condescending with him and like, you know, just kind of burst his bubble. Like every time he tried to say something, he was excited about. Yeah, yeah, we know. I'm your Huckleberry. We get it. <laughs> I've listened to that one for each of you. Yes. It's never too late, or doesn't matter what age, you must learn about the greatness of Val Kilmer. But here we were tonight, before the show, quoting Tombstone. No. <laughs> Dude, no. that's why I said when it came up earlier, I'm like, that's going to work its way into tonight's movie. I, I <laughs> you skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. I don't even get mad anymore when people call me Lunger. Uh, it, it was just such a weird thing because we don't we don't hang out with a lot of younger people, really just young Paul. And it was kind of cool. It, it was both cool and kind of depressing to see a young person get jazzed about something that's ancient news to us, you know. And about something that's really, really good news. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, it's probably my favorite Western of all time. So, uh, yeah, it was awesome to hear him get so excited about it. Um. All right. Uh, well, I actually had to take off the secondary wrapper uh, designated Desert Rose. By now, I'm uh, I'm not quite to the halfway point, but uh, I wanted to save it from getting burned. I I'll just say this real quick. I love. Obviously, the Rose of Sharon was blended by Rob, Southern Draws Robert Holt as a tribute to his wife Sharon Holt, mm-hmm. uh, his co-leader of Southern Draw. And I'll just say this. I say it every time we do one. I love the pink the pink band it's oh yeah i guess maybe there's another cigar out there with a pink band i can't think obviously I can't think of one when you buy those cigars like it's a girl to hand out when you have a baby those I, don't count those don't count uh i just love the pink band. i love pink and black looks is such a good contrasting colors together it's just a sharp yeah. looking band it looks good on that nice wrapper oh man that's good okay well, hey, speaking of cigars, y'all, y'all know who makes some really flavorful ones, don't you? I bet I know. Who's that? Tut said he knows. Drew Estate. You are right, Tut. Our good friends over at Drew Estate. And one of the most flavorful, flavorful offerings in their vast portfolio is the Herrera Steli Miami, crafted by level nine Cuban rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Caliocho. The Herrera Steli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish... That was good. You started dipping there to the law, and then you. you I you found a way to say it both you ways it at out. once. <laughs> no, it, it's a lavish. La- no, I'm sorry, lavish. Yes, lavish. 
a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper. That shit's never going to get old. Over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Steli Miami features rich black and gold packaging. is available in five sizes. This tasty cigar is now available at Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. So go get you some. I would also like to take a moment to talk about something else very cool. Cigar World. Cigar World's an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. You can sign up to give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and testing cigars. Check it out at cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab. Doctor, you still spend a lot of time over there uh, with your Bunsen burners and your microscopes doing some doing some heavy scientific stuff? Uh, every now and again, of course, it's very top secret. Not even for your friends. Well, with that Delta variant out there, I've been spending a lot of time in the home laboratory. Doctor, are you guys in the testing lab doing any kind of experimenting with the bright earth tobacco? I had never heard of bright earth until tonight, so I, I can't say that I uh, I have any familiarity with it at all. Maybe drop a uh, desert rose cigar into the old centrifuge and see what this is all about. Get down to the yeah. bottom of things. Pull out that bright earth tobacco. Speak in my language. I'm going to want a uh, three or four page dissertation on bright earth tobacco next time we meet, doctor. Would you like me to go on the record right now? <laughs> You're not happy, are you? For the record. <laughs> For the record. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, back to the movie. We start things off with the iconic Trauma Team release title card. And I'm going to stop you. Okay. Because I dug my heels in and I said I would never, really, I was really hoping he'd forget this. Never (laughs) do a trauma film again. And I saw that fragging logo pop up. And I was like, oh, that some bitch. Well, here's Tut. Here's where I, I... Put my patience cap on. I know I promised you no more trauma movies, but here's where I justified it. This was not a film made by trauma. They were just in the 80s. They had a video label, a distribution channel. All they did was distribute this film. They had nothing to do with the making of the film. And I can tell because Tut, I will tell you this, as soon as it said, as soon as the trauma thing came up, I did the same thing. I'm like, ah, shit. Because I am not a trauma fan at all. I, it, it, it clearly, you can tell that they had nothing to do with making it. Because it had, had value. For me. I really thought Tut would forget about that and he wouldn't call me on it. This is not trauma. This, this, was, this was distributed by trauma, but it was not made by trauma. And I, okay. I, will, I will hold my promise that we will never do a trauma produced film again. That's a, that's a red flag for me as well, Tut. Obviously, you guys have never seen Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. Oh, God. I don't know what of theirs I've seen and haven't seen. I just, it's, it's you know. You know, they just. Andrew, they, I enjoyed somewhat. They just did a remake of Troma's Toxic Avenger starring the one and only Peter Dinklage of Game of Thrones. I bet you'll watch that. Oh, that's going to be hard to watch, watch it. it. You're going to watch it. It's going to be hard not to watch. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, damn. My love of Peter Dinklage. 
I won't have a hard time not watching it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, well, after the Trauma Team release title card uh, goes away, boom, we're off to the races as we join a rock concert in progress at a large venue in some major U.S. city. The crowd is going crazy. The music is rocking. Style-wise, tell me what you think, guys. It reminded me a little of Dawkin or maybe early Rat. I was thinking Rat. I was thinking Rat. Uh, yeah. In that kind of vein. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would probably go, I was thinking right there, Rat. A little bit maybe Cinderella because those guys were very similar. Yeah, but, I think it was it was either this song or the next one they played. Was it? I think was it a very early Motley Crue song? Was it? She's got looks the kill. Yeah, looks the kill. Yeah. But it, it reminded me of that for some reason. Okay, it's well, it's very in vain with all those kind of '80s hair bands. Um, everything looks exactly as it that should for heavy too. for heavy metal. The, the music that they actually produced for this was legit. It was. Oh yeah, the crazy uh, legit. The soundtrack was, I should just get this out of the way, was put together uh, by Metal Blade Records, which, uh, man, they, they started Slayer. They, they discovered Slayer. Um, a lot of the early uh, metal bands, I just go to Slayer because that was one of my favorites, and I, I remember that Metal Blade logo on all the cassette tapes. But uh, they put together a really w- good soundtrack for this film uh, by a lot of metal bands. But uh, everything looks exactly as it should for a heavy metal concert in 1988, except for the fact that all the members of the band on stage, Black Roses, have demon faces and demon hands sticking out the sleeves of their black leather jackets while they're playing their hit song, Me Against the World. But at this it's point, like you don't, concert. But at like this point, you don't know if it's like, the armor. At this point, you don't know if it's like a shtick, like Kiss or Gore, and they're wearing masks and stuff. You don't know what's going on at this point. When a city official shows up and throws open the arena doors to shut the concert down, the lead singer points his scaly, grotesque finger towards the doors, and a small army of demonic teenagers pounce on the old-timer, and we fade to black. Who knows what that was about? It was crazy. But it was a really rock... But I agree, it was a really rocking song. Yeah, I was on board. I was like, yeah. The same thing thing actually happens to you if you go to a Halloween concert. (laughs) <laughs> which by the way for for such a badass band name halloween they really suck <laughs> i so wanted to like halloween but i just could never uh you know. um we then cut to the small town of mill basin where two lamborghinis cruise down main street slowly the sports cars stop in the middle of the road and a man with long teased blonde hair steps out of the white lamborghini wearing you mean kip winger Wearing a black leather fringe suit, complete with a leopard skin codpiece. He's the lead singer of Black Roses, Yaks, and his name is Damien. Damien, no, of, course, go of course, it's Damien. Damien surveys the quiet, deserted downtown, and then he flashes the devil horn salute with both hands, which prompts the leather clad passengers in the red Lambo parked behind him and his sexy blonde passenger to immediately get out and start hanging concert flyers around town for some upcoming live concerts at the Mill Basin High School Auditorium. What an entrance. These two Lamborghinis driving into town. Dude gets out in the middle of Main Street. Can we devote some time to the entrance of the hair? Because that hair was a character of itself. The 80s, man. 
That that hair was that was awesome, awesome hair. I was just thinking as I was watching this, maybe if we showed up at the Drew Estate Barn Smokers or our other live events like this, maybe we would have got a little more respect. Too okay, Lambo- all right. I'm wearing I'll wear the cheetah cod piece, but you know, two Lambos. Oh, you mean the Lambos? Okay. No, you can wear you can wear the you can wear the cod piece, but I I think anything, even you and a leopard cod piece, we would have been perceived more positively than we we were. Well, I've definitely got a later outfit in mind. I, yeah. uh, I want to hear more about that later. Well, it's a school day, so we jump over to the cute bleach blonde teenager Janie's house, where her best friend, the jean jacket wearing high school cheerleader Tina has popped in to save Janie from breakfast with her lame family. Hi, Tina, you're looking good, her dad, Janie's dad says, as Janie's mother rips a Black Roses album out of her daughter's hand before she can put on her jean jacket and leave with the record for school. This was the 80s, and small-town parents hated heavy metal music, but they were seemingly really okay with denim jean jackets. Am I right, Doctor? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, it's really kind of hypocrisy when you think of it. Uh, you, know, no. you know, denim team jackets are awesome. I'm sorry, guys. I will draw I, the line I, there. I, I, they were a gateway drug. They always Scott, look more and worse. Spectacular is not wrong. I I am with Yax. We'll learn later. The jean jackets are a gateway jacket to black leather jackets. And <laughs> I failed at meeting with an appropriate punchline. I had several denim jean jackets back we all did i was about to say i talked myself out of the because they're coming they're they're making a comeback now and i'm never left i'm walking through target and i'm like oh man i really want to get you yeah yak boy and i had these wonderful jean jackets that we would wear to land parties in high school because they had these these humongous interior pockets if you ever buy a, a classic levi's jacket they have tiny little pockets on the outside. You can barely get your fingers in them. But all the storage is on the inside. It's not just a pocket. It's like a leather pouch. that It's just a, it's just a <laughs> denim pouch that takes up the entire side. It's, like it's, a, a, denim pa- it's, a, it's a denim papoose. You can literally just put, like, books and shoes and everything you need inside of it. So Yakbo and I were here. Yakbo is not. That's what y'all are carrying around. Books. Yakbo. Knowledge. When I would go to these land parties and we'd go over to the cooler beer and be like, yeah, we're just going to grab one of these beers. And then we'd fit like 10 beers in our jean jacket pockets and be like, oh, look at the time. Got to go. We drank for weeks. <laughs> As we're walking back to the truck, just clink, clink, clink. <laughs> Anyways, did you guys catch who's playing the uptight rock and roll hating bitch, Mrs. Miller? No, I don't think I did. I don't blame you. Did you, Doctor? Uh, was that the one that was uh, Julie Adams? Julie Adams, the star of the original Creature from the Black Lagoon. She's the girl in the water who the Creature from the Black Lagoon tries to grab. I, cool. I wouldn't have recognized her. I, I only recognized the name. Well, Doctor, you'll also remember her from a much more noteworthy project than the classic Creature from the Black Lagoon. She played Cindy Walsh's elderly mother, Arlene, on our beloved Beverly Hills 90210, where we first met her driving Brenda around when Brandon's twin sister decided to return to Minnesota to go to college. 
Grandma Arlene was the one driving Brenda around. I don't remember that at all. That's where I recognize the name from. No way is that weird. No, no. Across town, another cute blonde named Julie is giving her deadbeat stepdad the business as she leaves for school. He's sitting in a recliner already sipping on a Budweiser at 7 a.m. while her mother is hard at work. Julie, Julie, your mother loves waitressing. She's been doing it ever since you were born. Ouch. He then tries to grab her ass as she's leaving for school, but she throws on her jean jacket and gets the hell out of there. So everyone finally arrives at Mill Basin High School just in time for a lesson in Walt Whitman from the very popular, expertly mustached English teacher, Matthew Morehouse. It, it was a suave mustache. There is no... Dude, this guy, I, could, this guy could go toe-to-toe with Tom Selleck. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think you can criticize this mustache. It's a very valid effort. It's now, I was going to wait to bring this up because... About halfway through the movie, then I, I was like, I got curious. But going right here with this, after you see this guy, you're like, oh, yeah. And I always do this, and as I always hate myself for doing it, because I'm sitting here this, because that's what I thought, you know, oh, it's very, oh, very so Magnum P.I.-ish. Selleck's it. brother. Selleck, no, that's, uh, you could think that, but it's not true. No, what I was Body looking at. Maybe. I was like. Oh, I know I'm gonna hate myself for doing this. I was like, I was like, how old is this guy? Oh, always a problem when I watch '80s movies. Oh, yeah, don't do it, man. Don't you do too it. Too late. It's too late. I always like, you know, you watch it, and you're like, oh. So I was like, because you get, I get stuck in that time warp when I start watching things from the '80s. I'm like, oh, I'm young. I'm, I'm, I'm the kid. Go back and I see it. I'm like, oh, no. Why did I do this to myself? How how old was Mr. Morehouse in this film, Yax? Anyone want to take a guess? Well, I know because I looked him up as well. Oh. All right. 35. You're in the ballpark. Well, I'm already depressed, so go ahead and say at, it. At the time of the shooting of this film, he was 36. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing. I was like, no. It's a years old, but I was like, he's that's a glorious. I was like, I was, I had to go and I like literally like was like stopping the film. Like, is that a fake mustache? Is it? Like, wow. Glorious thirty six year old. Thirty six. Well, I'm sitting here going, the guy looks like he's forty five. Even us in our now mid forties, I still watch this looking at him like he was older than us now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. I, you know what? Like, just just for that, Yaks, here's my fuck you to that and fuck you to you for pointing out. <laughs> Guess what? We're all older right now than Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon when he said, I'm too old for this shit. He was, 40, he was 41 in that movie. I, uh, I want to go on the record. <laughs> I'm not happy. For the record, Cade, I'd, 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 like to see, I'd like to see you documenting this. I want to go on the record. Oh, he's going on the record. Oh, he's going on the record. Oh, you're going on the record. I don't know let me pull out the record here. They make a little uh, annotation in my notes. Uh. That's what I was. That's what I wanted. That was the response I wanted. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Doctor, are you actually going on the record here or no? 
No, I, you gave oh. me the response I wanted. Oh, okay, good. I'm yeah. not depressed like you guys. I just put some more of the older cubes in the system. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why you're unhappy. And I'm sorry I threw out that Danny Glover thing. That wasn't fair. No, I, I, I don't, I'm sorry you guys are in your mid-40s. I'm 32. <laughs> Where's your mustache? Oh, no. Every day I'm reminded I, I, just exactly how old I am. I can't grow any facial hair. I'm so young. It just <laughs> out a little, little peach fuzz shows up. Well, Mr. Morehouse has his students gather their desks in a circle to discuss Whitman's writings on the subject of evil. And class hothead Johnny, also wearing a blue jean jacket, immediately compares the legendary poet's writings to what's currently happening in Mill Basin with the upcoming Black Roses concerts. Listen, man, all the grown-ups in town, they think they're so damn good. Going to church, talking about good, good, good. Until the news broke of the concert, the best thing to ever happen in this little town, and then these goody two-shoe hypocrites try to stop it. What's so good about that? They just figure there must be something evil about the band if all the teenagers like it. That's what Whitman was trying to say. Johnny, who looks like Andrew McCarthy on Three Days of No Sleep. Actually, (laughs) did you actually point out that all the kids in the high school were also 36 years old? Yes. Uh, Johnny gets a small smattering of applause from his fellow classmates, but then Mr. Morehouse politely informs Johnny that he's completely wrong. The parents don't think Black Roses are truly evil. They just fear change. There's never been a rock concert in Mill Basin, and the old folks just don't know what to do with it. That's when sexy Janie speaks up. Well, we know what to do with it, don't we? Enjoy it and have a good time for once. Sleep all day. Come on, come on. Uh, you see, boys, it's a great honor that Black Roses chose Mill Basin to launch their first tour. And these kids hate the reception that their parents are giving to their favorite band. Johnny waits for Julie after class. He's got a crush on her. But she sticks around for some one-on-one counseling with Mr. Morehouse. Yeah, she does. Who wouldn't? The guy's a stone-cold hunk, am I right? <laughs> Yaks? Yaks, am I right? You are. You are indeed. Just drawn in by the stash. A pissed off Johnny. When is this kid not pissed off? And this is before he turns real evil. He's, this kid's always got a hair up his ass. Races home and paints the Black Roses logo on the back of his jean jacket so he can attend his first show in fucking style. Question. Did y'all ever wear patches or buttons of heavy metal bands on your jean jackets? I sure did. Yes, no, of course. Well, apparently you didn't like metal enough to honor no, the no, that you, you guys. Didn't. You guys are far more metal heads than I ever was. That's true. I actually in in middle school ordered in Rip Magazine. You could order uh, patches, like big patches that take up the whole back of your jean jacket, and then like little patches. I I was really really in middle school into Slayer and Metallica especially uh, to a lesser degree, Megadeth. Um, but I, so I got these patches and they happened to show up at my house the day I was leaving to go visit my grandparents in Ohio. So total heavy metal. My mom was like, just take them with you. Your grandma, she's, she's good. sewer. she can sew those on your jacket for you when you get to Ohio. <laughs> well, my grandma was very, they were awesome the best grandparents ever, but they were very religious, uh, very uh, active in the church and stuff. 
But to her credit, they were very open-minded. They were they were uh, very active early in the 80s and helping uh, gays uh, find safety when they weren't welcomed by their families. And they, they're very progressive for the time period. But I was still very afraid to... Pander that slayer. <laughs> Could you sew this on? But of course, my mom, which she would do many times throughout my life, called while I was up there and asked grandma, so did Matt give you those heavy metal patches to sew on his uh, DJ? <laughs> so my grandma comes to me. She's like, do you need me to sew some stuff on your jeans? But your mom, all right. So dude, I give her my jean jacket and I give her these patches. It's a big, the one on the big one on the back was the cover of Metallica's Ride the Lightning CD, which is like an electric chair with all these like lightning bolts coming down. <laughs> And then I had a, a, a Slayer, I think, uh, South of Heaven thing. And she, she, she sewed them on expertly. I mean, it was a rockin' jean jacket. But when I, got, when I got back to Texas and I went to middle school wearing this thing, which I thought was the most awesome thing ever, one, I was the only white dude wearing something like this. I, the, all the guys that wore the stuff were Hispanics. Like, uh, Doctor, remember, like, Leo, and uh, th- there was a definite group of dudes that wore this kind of stuff, and I was not one of these guys. But then, I, <laughs> to make it worse, I was like, well, I might as well jazz this up with all my favorite bands. So I had this Metallica thing on the back, Slayer on the shoulder, but then I had, like, some Dead Milkmen buttons. <laughs> and I stuck to it. And, like, it, like, maybe, like, an REM button. Like, it was just totally... Uh, I think I even had like a Run DMC button, which made no sense. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, it just conf- I was I was a very confusing visual. You had eclectic taste <laughs> in this jacket when I showed up to school. I remember shoving it in my locker. I just felt so uh, out of. I, I was an ink spot in a bowl of milk wearing this thing, and uh, I, I just I uh, never. Can, I, yeah, let's let's move on. Let's move. I on. never I never wore it again. Oh, did that hit close <laughs> to home, Tom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And unlike thinking back to 87 or 86, I'm thinking back to yesterday. Uh, uh, I, uh, it's interesting. I was a big fan, uh, but I, I, my jean jackets were patch and button free. It was just odd, Doctor, because... At the same time, I stood in that jacket for everything, but as a result of that, I stood for nothing. <laughs> and well, yes, I've, I, I yes have... to, our, to our listeners, real quick, uh, Tut, if you're if you're a regular listener, knows has just uh, started going on campus uh, at the University of Texas, and he's somewhat the older student in class. So, if anybody knows about being an ink spot in a bowl of milk, it's you. And I. Ooh. I didn't mean to hit too close to home there. A gray piece of pepper and a bowl of salt. Do you, but do I will you, say I, I am rocking proudly on my backpack a Tuesday night Tom Atkins button. You got the, the Tuesday night Scar Club Tom Atkins button on the backpack? Yes, I do. He's going, that's, that might explain some things about my GPA this semester. There you go. Well, there you go. Um, uh, you're going to do just fine, buddy. I, I made it. You'll make it. Do you want my dead milkman buttons to put on your backpack? That sounds dead milkmen are awesome. awesome. Actually, that probably uh, would be. Tell, would you cool. like me to show up as a guest speaker someday? 
Yes, yes. What would you speak on, Doctor? <laughs> uh, numerous topics. <laughs> Such as? <laughs> well, there's the uh, exponential age we're running into right now between technology and our uh, its advances and our inability to keep up with it. I think I mentioned that uh, to you uh, uh, this afternoon. Uh, Indeed. Taking any history courses, Todd? No, I'm I'm finished with all my my basics. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. All right, Cade, okay, oh. you got me. He called me out. You win. I guess I got nothing. Okay. Well, yeah. We just we all want to oh, help. Good Tut. job, Cade. Good job. We, Try we, to help Tut, but uh, you know, we all want. You'd like to go on the record. I think now would be a good time to do it. <laughs> we all just want to help Tut out. Uh, I I remember back in eighth grade wearing that jacket. If somebody would have stepped in and helped me, I really would have appreciated it. Uh, Man. I'm in the final third of the cigar already. Uh, I'm smoking a lot just because I'm liking it a lot. Are you guys getting the the same uh, kind of smooth pepper on the nose with the back end of vanilla, some cedar, some bright earth, and some vanilla wafer on the draw, or am I just pretty crazy? much? Yeah, it's it's kind of settled into that profile for me and hasn't hasn't really let go. I haven't really gotten the the vanilla bliss that you guys have, but every other note is pretty much spot on. It is a vanilla bliss. It is a vanilla that bliss. Has stuck. The, the pepper has kind of died down for me. Yaks, in the, the final, in the final third, after you remove the band, that pepper kicks up. I'm it's hoping actually, so. I, I'm, I'm still, I, I'm not, I just took off the first band. So once you take off the primary band, that pepper is actually stronger than it was in the beginning. It, are you on with me on that, Tut? Yeah, absolutely. Which again is a great, a great uh, testament to the symmetry. Blender. It's a great symmetry between the Marzon beer too, because that pepper floats right over the top on that retro ale. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it probably says something good about the blenders too. Yeah, we'll go ahead and give them a shout out. <laughs> All right. Well, that night at a city council meeting, Janie's uptight mom, Mrs. Miller, we know she's uptight because she's not wearing a denim jean jacket, is trying to convince the parents of Mill Basin that the, quote, disciples of the devil are invading our town and threatening to steal our children away from us. First, it was Mr. Morehouse's avuncular mustache, and now this. Actually, no, she doesn't say that little last part about his mustache. She probably should have. You know she uh, says. She goes on to say that Black Rose's imagery, satanic music, and subvers- subversive lyrics threaten to undermine the very fabric of their society. These old uptight windbags love talking about the fabric of society. I've never heard anybody use that term except old windbags. I was about to say. Not happy. Not happy. happy. Now, this all sounds batshit crazy, but Dr. Satanic Panic and the vilification of heavy metal music was indeed a very stupid, but very real, real thing in the 1980s. That it was. Yes. Uh, there were people that actually went so far as to state that records played backwards, uh, delivered satanic messages. And, uh, and we'll, and we'll get into it even later. I mean, a lot of rockers had to go before Congress um, and defend their lyrics, not for being played backwards, for being played forwards. Like the the right of their First Amendment rights were called into question for their lyrics. We're going to get into that a little bit a little bit later. It's a very weird period of time where uh, 
unlike today, parents were way uh, too involved in their kids, what they were up to, you know? Well, regardless of uh, the time period, there's always going to be a culture war. I mean, let's not fix anything. Let's just bitch about some sort of aspect of our culture. It seems like that's kind of gone away, though, now since social media, we go back to social media. It seems like now the parents are too busy bitching at each other on social media about oh, I disagree. politics and stuff. I don't I don't see many parents even giving a shit about their kids and what. Well, the, whether their kids are wearing masks or not. is. Oh, my goodness, man. My kid might go into a toilet with uh, someone with the wrong genitals. We need a state law for that. Oh, my goodness. People don't love the flag enough. That person got down on his knees and my, that, 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 my kid's going to grow up unpatriotic because they saw some sports person. Get, I guess what I'm saying is that, nuts. I guess what I'm saying to that is the kids today are living a time where the, the, the parents really aren't giving a shit what video games they're playing or what movies they're watching or music they're listening to. They're just caring about whatever hot topic is trending uh, on the Facebooks and their kid can be kind of left alone to do whatever the hell they want in their bedroom. Yeah, it's really it was weird. Much more innocent. It was much more innocent when you think of uh, when you think of the idea. And, and uh, well, Kate said not to get ahead of it. You're right. It, it, did, it did eventually end up in a congressional committee, but it, yeah. it's, it's so much more innocent that uh, parents were concerned about uh, about the music you were listening to. Which I think, Doctor, maybe it was because everything else was going pretty good, yeah. and they just and and people just have to have something to be upset about. Yeah, I agree. Usually that's that. correct. There was no that. pandemic. There was no transgender stuff. There was no nothing. So it's like, all right, well, well like, what the hell are you was, listening to? The, you know, the specter of nuclear holocaust. But, you know, that, yeah, that's, that's okay. I can't do anything about that. But There's not much Miss Miller can, uh, and her three turtlenecks choking her to death can do about the nuclear holocaust. We're going to get the PTA on the nuclear holocaust. We're going to fix this. We're not happy about it. We're not. For the record, we're not happy about it. It's an interesting historical. I, I don't know what right the right word is to use, because when when you look at it's not like it was new, because in the 70s, you still had Kiss and you still had Black Sabbath, which were, you know, you got Gene Simmons spitting the fake blood out of his mouth. Right. You had, you had the long haired kind of not just long haired hippie, but you had you had a. A kind of hard rock, but I guess it really, I guess historically, I guess it just exploded in the 80s as far it as it really did. Because, because doctor, I think it was the combination when it got to that point, and I, this isn't getting ahead of ourselves. I think when he got to that point, it was a combination of imagery, which was now you had MTV, you had videos, you didn't have that with kids. It was, it was MTV, it was imagery and an increase in the lyrics. As scary as Kiss looked, they were still talking about just putting their dick in chicks. Every yeah, song, but I mean, every you, song was just about banging chicks. Yeah, but the politicians would be coming up. It, I mean, it Kiss isn't out of the frame, but due to their seventies, because you know they were brought up kids in Satan service. ACDC brought up uh, Antichrist Devil's Children against Christ uh, Devil's Child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so all those seventies bands were coming in, and I think you, had, I think you hit it on the nail. Finally, parents were watching MTV and seeing this stuff go down, and then being like, "Oh I, my goodness!" I think MTV. And then, they had, and then they had the rise of the televangelists. You know, you started getting more news channels popping up. I, I think to answer y'all's point, I, I think MTV was the the crux that that shifted the tides to where parents started uh, paying attention. 
Thank you, MTV. I, I never, me nor my grandma ever had MTV growing up, so I guess that's why she was cool with putting those patches on my jacket. Uh, not that Slayer was on heavy rotation with a... Uh, Headbangers Ball. Headbangers down, Ball, man. Town Julie Brown going to bring you rain and blood from Slayer. They weren't. Uh, it's interesting, though, because... Um, my parents, wisely so, uh, never saw any harm in the sort of music I listened to or the movies I was watching. I mean, you know, there were people, you know, I was ten year, nine, ten years old watching movies like Rambo and Terminator that were vi- very violent. They, did, they didn't see any harm in that. But, Doctor, uh, do, you, do you agree? Because we grew up together, like literally... I grew up at your house with your parents. The most probably impactful, subversive, violent stuff we were subjected to wasn't movies or music. It was comic books. It was the Punisher. It was the Vigilante. It was, it was, we were, we were buying comics that had way more graphic violence than any music or anything. But they, I don't think they ever even thought to look at our comic books. I remember, oh. I remember my mom saying this, and I remember uh, Cody's mother saying this as well several years later. That uh, you have young kids and they're reading, read comic books. She was like, but my mom said the same thing. Mrs. Leshker said it years later. Said that's fantastic. I've got young guys that are that are reading, and their imaginations are going off because they're reading. So what if well, I was and, you know, and, and so it, what if it, I was reading Peter Porker, The Amazing Spider Ham? I was reading. That's right. Don't ever speak oh, ill of Peter Porker. There's value in it. There's some people that, that I mean, I, I I understand what you're saying. The Dark Knight specifically. When I go back and look at the oh yeah, the chick with the swastikas on her t- on her titties, and I mean that was crazy. There there was some. I'll I'll say it. It definitely from an adult theme. It was as equal to something that you're watching in Terminator, but just the whole idea that you could read that or watch the movie or and shit. I mean, even though the blood didn't fly on the screen and look at the video games, games like Contra and stuff like that, not Super Mario Brothers, but some of the other ones, you're just blasting shit away. I mean, my parents never thought that that was, they thought, you know, it was their and, job and not the, not the job of that stuff. And, and right. And, and rightfully so. We, yeah. Hey, we turned out all right. <laughs> They never talked about this. <laughs> Mrs. Miller concludes by reciting some Black Rose's lyrics to the concerned crowd. You ready for these? Tear down the walls of hell. Make room for lust to dwell. Carry in your hands a sword. Tear away the image of the Lord. The small town parents start going nuts with displeasure, but she tells them there's more. Pull down society. Only then we can be free. In the world alone to roam, destroy your happy home. Fortunately, as everybody's going nuts, yeah, I mean, those are pretty on the nose. Uh, (laughs) The town's level-headed leader, Mayor Farnsworth, quickly takes over the hot mic and calms his taxpayers down a few notches. It's just music we're talking about here, folks, he reasons, not revolution. Yeah, some of these lyrics are a little antisocial, but that's the nature of rock and roll, isn't it? Shake things up a little bit. What about Elvis? 
Little Richard, Chuck Berry. What about the Beatles, for Pete's sake? Dude, I love this guy. And There's he's, no he's politician not, and of the 80s ever. And he's not the Jaws mayor. He's not like these concerts could do a lot of, for exposure for our little town. He's just a... Do you remember when way back when when politicians could be sensible, calming forces rather than total self-absorbed shithead? No. No, I no. don't remember that. I wish this guy was real so I could vote for him. Yes, Farnsworth for president. <laughs> he was fictional. Well, Mayor Farnsworth... Hey, I'm going to need to get into this cigar real quick, too. Okay. Mayor Farnsworth ain't shutting down the concerts, and the parents of Mill Basin are just going to have to deal with it, he says. Tut, go for it. Oh, I was about to end. I was ready to talk price point. You're almost done. Oh, am I, am I too soon? No, let's go ahead. Uh, Yak said he's a little bit behind, but you know, I think when the first guy gets to that point, we need to just go for it. All right, price point. Um, this is not a limited cigar. This is uh, readily available. Um, I believe I, I probably get this wrong. Boxes of 12, maybe. Um, but it's a readily available cigar, as as most of the Rosa Sharons are. It's also available in a Lancero and several other Vitolas. Um, they also have, I believe, a 60 ring gauge of this bad boy. I, I think I've had one of those. But man, really? I love the Rose of Sharon. Uh, the, I, I, I'm, I'm more partial to the original because it's got a lot of delicate stuff to it, especially the vanilla. And it's, it's a creamier Connecticut. But the Desert Rose definitely adds that no spice, which this one keeps up with that. But it keeps that vanilla and that cracker and, and cedar. It's just a very complex, beautiful cigar. And I think this Lonsdale keeps the spirit of it beautifully. Agreed? Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah, actually, I think that's really good. It's it's kind of a, the best parts of both of the original and and the Desert Rose line. I'm a big fan. I, I lean probably a little slider to the, a uh, little more to the Desert Rose line. I like the the up and pepper. I like the just the notch up and the. Cedar. I do think that the the Lonsdale brought out some of that vanilla that's that's more present in the Rose of Sharon, um, which I appreciate because that's delicious. Yeah, um, and that we can't forget about that bright earth. Can't forget about that bright earth. I think it's even brighter than their uh, Perfecto Vitolo. Oh, that's a good one too. I forgot about the Perfecto. That's one of my. That's maybe my favorite. That's Vitolo. my favorite. That's my fa- favorite uh, Desert Rose Vitolo. Okay, price point. You brought it up, Tut. You guess first. Man, I'm gonna go solid eleven twenty-five. Eleven twenty-five. Southern Draw is notorious for making affordable cigars, premium cigars that taste like they should cost you a lot more than they do. Eleven twenty-five. That's a good guess. What about you, Yax? Mm, Ten. Ten. All right, so it's what about a dollar twenty-five change there? I'll come in at. I'll split the middle at ten sixty-two. Doctor, you did not smoke it, so, but you're coming job. in with a well-calculated guess of ten sixty-two. I'm gonna go a little on. I'm gonna go nine ninety-eight. <laughs> Let me yes. see. Hold on. Let me see. Uh, price point nine ninety-nine. I'm 9.99. one. Nine ninety-nine. One cent under. I won. 
No, Yaks, I won. No, no. You don't, you don't get it. You got the price. It's me. It's all me. <laughs> that is a wonderful price for this cigar. That's a very, very, Dude, very good price. And this from the minute you the closed contender. I always like a closed foot. It's a nice touch. You get a really good sense of that wrapper uh, first and foremost as you're lighting it up. That I love the fact that I just twisted off that, that fishtail cap and I didn't have to touch it or clip it. And the construction and the burn has been beautiful throughout. And the flavors, I'm a sucker for any vanilla in a cigar, but when it matches, yes, when, absolutely. When it meshes, and it's not a sweet vanilla at all, it's just a very true vanilla flavor. And when you mix it with that cedar and that bright earth, and then that pepper, the fact that it picked back up in the final third and just really let you know, hey, I was there, I died down a little bit, gave you some other stuff, and now I'm back. It is a complex cigar with some nice transitions. Big thumbs up. Big thumbs up. Great job, guys. The Rose of Sharon line as a whole, whether it's Rose of Sharon or Desert Rose, remains the superstars of Southern Draw for me. Uh, Tud, I, I know you like, what is it, the Firethorn? Um, the, the Kudzu. The Kudzu Perfecto Vitola specifically. That's but the favorite. more, but it, you know, it's one of those things I used to say it's my favorite, but if I look back over how much I bought or what I bought, I bought more Desert Rose than anything. It's just, it's just really, really good. Okay. Well, dude, uh, thumbs up from everybody. Thumbs up. You know what I think it is? I think it's because uh, I don't, there's not a lot of Connecticut cigars that I really go to. And I love the change of pace that the Desert Rose gives me, but it's not, it's not a tame cigar. There's, there's flavors going on. It's a very a complex cigars. Yeah. So I, I like the fact that it, it's a switch up from the, from the Nicaraguan power bombs, but at the same time, it's not, it doesn't just go away. So I, that's, yeah, I, I probably, I kind of shift over to Desert Rose being my favorite. It is, it, well, it might, well, it might be my, uh, mild trending towards medium and strength. It's definitely medium bodied with a beautiful finish that lingers on your palate uh, with several different flavors. Uh, man, yeah, I love it. Box worthy for sure. Yeah, good job on that description of the of the finish. Oh, that's that's perfect. Thank you, Tut. Thank you. While their parents are at the meeting, Johnny, who's now cut the sleeves off his jean jacket in anticipation, Which is the right way to go. Always <laughs> has somehow talked cute good girl Julie into roaming the downtown streets with him as he smokes cigarettes, bounces off everything, and yells at her. Johnny's like a brain-damaged Gene Kelly in Singing in the Rain. I expected him to break into like a musical, the way he's swinging around. What's up with him mounting every light pole on the street? He's and twirling around. It. He's twirling around lampposts. He's dry-humping parking meters. This guy, he's jumping in the air all over the place. Why won't you go out with me? I think this is before they had ADD as a diagnosis for kids. And I mean, this kid—he's got some issues. Um, but I guess even this total shit show that is Johnny is better than staying at home alone with that drunk step at stepdaughters. Barely, just barely. Uh, this kid is fucking worked up. He hates the fact that Julie won't date him because she has the hots for Mister Morehouse, which she denies. He hates his life, and he hates his future after graduation 
because he's going to be cutting hair at his dad's barber shop, which is the exact reason his mom left his dad because his dad just settled for this small town life and she didn't want any part of it. And now he hates this town, Mill Basin, because the Black Roses concert means everything to him and he fears they're going to call it off. But tonight, tonight, he says, he's going to paint this town red. And he literally, he means that quite literally as he steals some red paint from the back of the local hardware store against Julie's pleading him not to. But when he pops the top off the metal can with his pocket knife, Mr. Morehouse, who's nearby doing some late night window shopping at a toy store. Uh oh. After, after leaving the town meeting, he hears the commotion and him running over there to investigate scares the two teens off. They run away. Now we understand the stash. As Morehouse stands there holding Johnny's pocket knife, he sees a figure emerge through a giant cloud of smoke in an alley across the street. And then the figure suddenly disappears into thin air. It was Damien. So the teacher just calls it a day. Eh, whatever that was. <laughs> oh, and as he walks off, the can of red paint bursts into flames. So that's certainly odd. During the next morning's lecture, Mr. Morehouse finds a poetic way while discussing the works of Ralph Waldo Emerson to hand Johnny Boy his trusty pocket knife back. Did y'all notice Morehouse, while Johnny was blabbering on about uh, Emerson, he takes the sunglasses off a chick's desk and puts it on and starts flirting with the girls a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny just keeps blabbering on as Morehouse is getting Morehouse. All you know, ladies, I was uh, perusing the toy store last night. And, uh, <laughs> I'm that what? Right, him like walking through downtown at night and like checking out the toys. You hang out with me, and you get to hang uh, out with you. Uh, doctor, this this Morehouse guy reminded us, or me, I'm assuming you have so many middle school coaches we had. Same hair, same must, same, same mustache, hair, same stash. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to name names, but we we had a couple of these. Yeah. Dudes. The only thing missing was him inviting those girls over for a wine cooler. Oh, it was the age of Bartles and James <laughs> and Seagrams. I was a Seagrams man. It's oh, wet. It's wet. It's wet and it's dry, Doctor. My, 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 my. Willis did the commercials. Seagrams, <laughs> golden wine coolers, me and the wet. boys. Love, love, love it all the time. Man, if the teen characters that we're spending the most time with so far, Johnny and Julie, are the film's protagonists, at this point I'm like, that really sucks because he's a totally unlikable dickbag and she's just as bad, if not worse, for hanging out with him. But things get better quickly. Well, that night is the first of several Black Roses concerts in the high school auditorium, and the teenage crowd is super fucking pumped. But a handful of parents, Mayor Farnsworth and Mr. Morehouse, wearing his beige Pierce Brosnan Nomads anthropologist jacket. Hey, he's gonna, style. He's going to go study a sociological element of society. He's got to put on his, his jacket are in attendance as well to make sure that everything is on the up and up. And when the band takes the stage, surprisingly, everything does seem to be suitable for parental approval. The bandmates are all smiles, and Damien emerges from backstage wearing a white trench coat and holding a long-stemmed black rose 
which he tosses to Julie after giving it a kiss. Did y'all recognize the drummer? No. He's rock legend Carmine Apice, who toured with the likes of Ozzy Osbourne, Jeff Beck, and Ted Nugent back in the day. And while he was a member of Rod Stewart's band back in the 70s, he co-wrote my two favorite Rod the Bod songs, Do You Think I'm Sexy and the Amazing <laughs> and, and Young Turks. Dude, all right. Tut was singing Do You Think I'm Sexy before the show, and I was like, I had no earthly idea. Now it makes sense. This guy's rock royalty. Is and his his brother, brother. his brother Vinny Apice was a guitar player for a lot of popular rock bands, too. By the way, I hate to be an asshole, but I believe it's a PC. A PC. I, I was thinking, I don't think it was a PC, but a PC. A PC. Yeah. Carmine, a PC. Oh, you don't like my name? <laughs> it goes on the record. It's hey, going in my record. I make a little uh, footnote in my uh, records here. <laughs> Let me annotate. That's uh, 1042. Uh, so Damien grabs the mic with his black fingerless gloves and announces that he'd like to sing about his home. And then Black Roses breaks into a very soft synthesizer-heavy rock ballad. The song is way more journey than Black Sabbath, and this sets all the adults at ease instantly. So at ease that they all leave before the first song <laughs> is over. Even Ellen Miller, Janie's Bible-thumping mom, declares their music's safe as she gets up to leave, followed by the mayor and Mr. Morehouse, who agree that, you know what, let's go have a drink. This See, it's not that bad. That, that's what I love about the mayor in this. You know what? I've heard enough. I'm out of here. I'm getting a drink. I'm, I've had enough of this shit. Greatest mayor. Well, he actually turns to Mrs. Miller like, if that old bag of bones is leaving, we should probably go get a drink. I love I really like this mayor. I miss these politicians. Uh, but the second that Mr. Morehouse closes the auditorium doors and it's just now black roses in a room full of teenagers, Damien raises an eyebrow and smiles as the lights suddenly go dark. When the stage lights come back on almost instantly, the entire band is now dressed in black studded leather with Damien even sporting some intense black leather suspenders that form an X across his hairy chest. I love this outfit. That was a I was great beginning to think outfit. we're going to get some sweet leather metal, but uh, Todd, I think if you wore that those black leather suspenders to the Drew Estate Barn Smoker events, things could have definitely worked out differently, especially in our Kentucky stop. Yes, and especially because I would have the propensity to cut the ass cheeks out of them. Oh. Actually, Kate, I was thinking how if you wore that Axel Rose outfit we talked about, the floor-length fur coat and the cowboy hat with the sunglasses and the white cowboy boots, and I had on – I was thinking of how could I match that, but if you went in that Axel outfit and I had on Damien's black leather skin-tight overalls, I mean, I don't, I don't know I, – I just don't know. I mean – we, uh, doctor and I were talking, I don't know how we got on the subject, doctor. We were talking the other day about rock and stuff. And, uh, Axl Rose is such a polarizing guy, but I was like, you know, there's a, a, like recently, like within the last few years, since they came back, there's a story that Axl Rose walked into some bar in New York city wearing a floor length mink trench coat, like animal minks, cowboy boots, his cowboy hat and he had the long cigarette in the holder or whatever 
and he walks into this fancy restaurant and Tommy Hilfiger, the designer stood up from his table to come greet him. And Axl Rose threw the cigarette, his cigarette at Tommy Hilfiger's chest, like it bounced off. And he was like, fuck you motherfucker. And I was like, God, he's still doing that shit. That is so awesome. That's not. It really so is, though. Cade, we kind of pictured Cade wearing that into, I don't know, say O'Brien's one evening, the floor-length mink coat and the cowboy hat and sunglasses. And I, 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 think- I, I hate that shit, but for some reason I give Axl Rose a pass. I don't want him any other way. <laughs> I don't want nice Axl. I want mink coat wearing cigarette-throwing Axl. It's kind of like, uh, what was the story I, I said a couple of episodes when you meet Dick Buckus and he turns out to be an asshole and he's exactly the way you hoped he would be? There's nothing wrong with that. I just Absolutely want to, I just want to wear the black leather overalls that Damien had on. Hey, well, it's, a, it's a universal want, my man. Get this, Doctor. As Damien howls, they're going to rock this town tonight. The room full of horny, rambunctious teenagers goes bananas as the, all the girls swoon over Damien and the boys start pumping their fists in the air. Doctor, glad you're here tonight. From a pure medical perspective, how horny and rambunctious would you say these teenagers are? My God, they're horny. I mean, the every nerve fiber in their being is horny. I can't even imagine the level of horniness. My God, the horniness they must have been feeling. What about their their rambunctiousness? Once again, the rambunctious level, just, my God, every every part of their existence is rambunctious and horny. It's crazy, isn't it? Did Did you tackle anything with horny levels in the testing lab? Oh, we we don't delve into that area. Uh, yeah, oh sorry. damn it! That was that was wrong of me to ask. I thought I might get you to slip up there. Sorry. Um, well, the next morning after the concert, Mr. Morehouse is having trouble getting any of his students to participate in class. Janie, Johnny, they're all spaced out, just staring at their desks. Even his star pupil Julie is out of it. She can't even remember who Ralph Waldo Emerson is, and they've been studying his work for weeks. The class bell rings, and on her way out of the classroom, Julie tells Mr. Morehouse that they were such a good crowd last night, Black Roses gave everyone free tickets to all the remaining shows. Well, Morehouse doesn't like this shit one bit, so he heads to the school counselor's office for some guidance. These kids should be thinking about midterms, not Black Roses. The easygoing chess-playing school counselor tells Morehouse to relax. As soon as Burnt Roses... That's what he calls it. <laughs> like Leave it. town. The kids will be back to normal. And if you still need some reassuring, Matt, the school counselor suggests that Morehouse goes over and talks to the lead singer, Fabian. <laughs> He's getting everything wrong. Uh, and he'll see that the guy is just another working stiff trying to make a dollar. I like this oblivious school counselor. Do you guys like him? And, and it's pretty much like a School counselor, detached, just, you know. Just, he's doing his best. I'm here to care about what you're thinking, yet I can't remember anything about anything. And I could have sworn that I had seen this guy before, but no, he, he didn't do anything other than this than this movie. Um, oh, and while the two educators are chatting away, some of the Black Roses crew has pulled up in the high school parking lot and are handing out free albums for everybody. 
Only the teens now are all highly agitated and aggressive. When one dude in an Iron Maiden t-shirt grabs a record from another dude in a sleeveless t-shirt, they start slugging it out as the chicks all start, fight, fight, fight. Until another sleeveless t-shirt wearing dude starts punching those dudes, and he ends up getting the worst of it as the first sleeveless t-shirt dude picks him up over his head and throws him over the sea of girls. It's a good fight. It's a real it good is a good fight. Doctor. In your opinion, in your opinion, doctor, if that dude that got swamp tossed just now had not removed the sleeves from his T-shirt, would those sleeves potentially had softened his landing somewhat and possibly lessened his injuries? Once again, Mr. Quaid, I, I commend you on on the queries you come up with. Thank you. Uh, God, it's far too early to tell. It's far too early to tell. I would need to run some sort of test experiment myself. We removed sleeves from a t-shirt and had somebody tossed. I also like the swamp toss reference. Looking for volunteers. Oh, that dude That dude was swamp tossed. He was swamp tossed. <laughs> so Mr. Morehouse does indeed have a conversation with Fabian, <laughs> a.k.a. Damien. The Black lead Roses Toss. The, the lead singer of Black Roses. The two men drink glasses of milk by the stage. What's up with the milk? He's a wholesome dude off stage. They're drinking milk, and he's now sporting a much shorter feathered hairdo, like shoulder length, than his long flowing locks on stage. And he's wearing a button-down shirt and some Bugle Boy slacks. He explains to the English teacher that their record label thought that four small shows in a tiny town like Mill Basin was the perfect plan to work the kinks out before they embark on a massive world tour since they've never played out of the studio before. Well, there was that one show, but uh, that didn't turn out so good. That seems like somewhat of an understatement from what we saw of that show. Seems like maybe the teacher would have wanted to follow up on that. and we yeah, get like what, a, happened at, what happened to that show? We oh, get like a, a, a Children of the Corn 3 deal where the guy finds like some Native American to be like, oh, <laughs> yes, that show was crap. It's a stupid. Yeah. <laughs> what is your opinion? No, this is stupid. Well, there was one other show I could tell you about which would lead a lot to your investigation. I don't care about that crap. This is all stupid. Give me some more of this milk and then I'm out of here. Give me another glass of milk. Damien goes on to explain that his band actually has a humanistic message for the kids. You know, social and environmental concerns, that kind of stuff. He invites Morehouse to come back tonight and watch the second concert to judge for himself, but Morehouse says he can't. Oh, I know, Damien smiles. Another date with the mayor's daughter? Guy's got to move up in the world. Where in the hell are you getting this stuff from? A shock of Morehouse replies. Are you kidding, Damien smiles? You're a famous guy. I've known your soul for a long time, man. Morehouse is like, uh, right, I got to get out of here. And as he makes a hasty exit from the grinning Damien, who knows way too much about him than any traveling musician should. I'll regroup at the toy store. <laughs> <laughs> to the snow cone truck. <laughs> Morehouse runs smack dab into Julie, who's entering the auditorium. He asks his teacher's pet why she isn't in class, and she fires back, 
I could ask you the very same thing. Watching this interaction between Morehouse and Julie makes Dame. We cut to Damien. He's smiling. He's loving this friction. He's loving every minute of it. Remember that punk kid who shoulder pressed the other punk kid down on the pavement? The Swamp Toss kid? Swamp Toss. Well, now he's busy doing dumbbell curls while listening to loud heavy metal music in his family's living room. Until that is, his pop strolls in asking him to help his mom with the dishes. And who is playing this stereotypical Italian-American Hey, fun? Bobby, why, why you need to get in here and help your mom with the dishes, huh? Who's One, playing Vincent this guy? Past, Vincent Pastore, Big otherwise pussy. known as Sal Big Pussy Bompensero. Yep, it's Big Pussy in one of his first starring roles. I, I just, when I saw him walk in there, I was just, I, oh my, uh, my fucking jaw just hit the fucking floor. I was like, oh, it can't be. And it was perfect too, because he walks is, in between a door frame. And so it was just kind of like, oh. The thing is, he looks the exact same 20 years before the Sopranos. As he, he was does. about 100 pounds lighter. But he looks... It's just oh yeah, yeah, space and everything. My problem was this. It was like his character here is actually kind of like the loving dad, and I was expecting him to like just like the kid, like why aren't you in the kitchen helping your mother? Smack. <laughs> yes, uh, it's big pussy, and get this, he doesn't like his son's new hoop earring one bit. Black roses in town, and all of a sudden his kid's got an earring. He tells his son, "Oh." Only two types of men have earrings, pirates and faggots. And I don't see a pirate ship in the driveway. Oh! <laughs> I, he doesn't go that, that big with it. He went oh. full dice there. It was funny, though. Uh, but he lets him go. The kid storms off. His son blows past him to head to the concert, leaving the oh. blaring music thudding out of the mounted wall speaker. It's not a big wall speaker either. It's like, I don't know, what, about three by one? Like, <laughs> it's a little speaker on the wall. It's an that's 80s a, wall speaker. That's it's important. Sylvia just walked in. Hey, you heard your, you heard your fun. Take the earring out. Take the earring out. <laughs> and another fucking thing. I don't want to hear no more of these black roses. <laughs> that's the sound of some walnuts. <laughs> you cocksucker. You listen to Dean Martin. Don't make me come in here no more. I'm sorry. I had sad characters. No, but I, I would have loved that, but no, we didn't. We don't get that. I ask you to wash the dishes with your mother. You're acting like a gobble of goo. Like, <laughs> words that don't even make any kind of sense. <laughs> uh, well, the, the music's playing. So it's not like was, a real concert. It's like a real concert, Dad. <laughs> I don't want to hear these black fairies no more. And don't you just make me come in here again. Now I gotta go in the kitchen because I got a I got a man of God in the oven. <laughs> he is wearing the stereotypical white uh undershirt though. It's oh, perfect. It's perfect. Big Pussy stops the record on the turntable, but a few seconds later it starts spinning again. When it happens for a second time and he has to get up, he examines the turntable and discovers that the black vinyl album has started bubbling and pulsating as the music slows down and a demonic voice begins to emerge from the giant wall speaker in front of him. What the fuck? 
big pussy screams as suddenly a scaly, slimy demon shoots out of the speaker and attacks him. This thing has sharp, snapping fangs, spider legs, and its long-ass tail is still connected to the speaker. It's just nasty looking. It kind of looked like, what were those, not the, the gremlins, but the uh, what were, critters or... What were those movies? Critters. Big Pussy wrestles with it a bit on the ground, but eventually the demon gets the upper hand and wraps its jaws around Big Pussy's face and drags him across the room. And eventually it pulls him into that little speaker. You see his little feet kicking as it sucks him in. I got to stop you right there because I stopped myself from sending Cade this text message. And now I'm going to say it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But I was going to send you this text and I thought, if this is intercepted, I could get in a lot of trouble. I was just going to send you a text that said, when Big Pussy fights the rubber monster and gets sucked into the speaker, I was beside myself with glee. And I thought, man, that could just be interpreted in so many wrong ways. Uh, no, you'd be, yeah, you'd be on some some lists. Yeah. Uh, no, Big Pussy got eaten. Hey, it dragged him in the speaker, but I think we're supposed to assume it got dragged. Big Pussy got dragged into hell. Yes. And yes, yaks, that demon ate Big Pussy. <laughs> you sick bastard. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Did y'all notice <laughs> did y'all notice what band's record was playing on the turntable throughout the scene? Oh man, oh, yes. I did. Uh, but I can't remember it. You did, Yax? Mm-hmm. What was it? Lizzie Borden. No. The mm-hmm. subtitles, the subtitles told you I it, thought was, it was a li- the subtitles, uh-huh. the subtitles told it was a V or something. I thought it was, because it sounded like them. No, this is a this was a triple uh confusing thing because it's it was a song that Black Roses sang during their shows. So you're thinking it's Black Roses. The subtitles tell you it's a Lizzie Borden song, but no, the actual label on the LP spinning is by a band called the mentors, the mentors. That's right. Who were notoriously included during the Washington DC hearings by the pro censorship PMRC, the parents music resource center, along with twisted sister, along with wasp, the mentors were included in that. Cause they had, I think a song called golden shower bitches or something like that. <laughs> uh, so that they, they got called before Congress. Um, but the most interesting thing when I saw that, that I remembered about the mentors, because you don't hear about that band a lot. Have y'all ever even heard of them? I've never even heard of them. Their lead singer, Eldon Hoke, I think he went by the stage name of El Duce, was the man who claimed in the documentary, Kurt and Courtney, that Courtney Love offered him 50 grand to kill Kurt Cobain. And then two days later, after that interview was done for the documentary, he was struck by a freight train while intoxicated and killed. And the official coroner's report stated death by train, suicide by train. And everyone thinks that maybe there was something going on there more than that. But obviously he had something on Hillary. Courtney. Oh, yeah, Courtney. All right, Alex Jones. Hey, Cade, you know what? You know who Il Duce was? Did you hear how quick t- went to Hillary Clinton killed Il Duce? Il Duce was Mussolini. 
No, Tut. Uh, as far as we know, Hillary Clinton did not kill the lead singer of The Mentors. Uh, but there's some theories. They want you to think. I've done my. I've done my own research. Tut's done his own research. Hillary Clinton sent a shadow up into Seattle, killed El Duce, pushed him in front of the train, gave him two bottles of night train. Boom, killed him. Done. That's the last time I want to hear any more this political talk. <laughs> if Kurt would have taken my homegrown protein powder, Infowars.com. <laughs> <laughs> As the sun sets, Mr. Morehouse arrives home where he peels off his... I love how he peels off a sweater and then puts on a button-down shirt. I got to get out of this thing. Let me put on this thing. Pours himself a pint of beer, drops an Amadeus cassette into the boombox, and settles in for the night. Man, if he only smoked Marlboro Reds and was a little more frisky with the ladies, this character could have almost be described... As Tom Atkins-esque. You just need a, just a, a touch of a little salt and pepper right there in that stash. <laughs> I, am oh, wearing, he would have, oh. I am wearing the Atkins shirt tonight because this guy came so close to Tom Atkins-esque. Oh, man, that's blast. I can only imagine what this movie would be like if it not, was not Tom, Tom Atkins. Not Tom Atkins, Doctor. Tom Atkins-esque. That's still blasphemy. He would have needed to do chain smoked through the movie, drank a whole lot more, and been porking two of his students. Matt Morehouse had major potential as a character, but it was never close to being reached, in my opinion. Well, he's not actually... Probably the beauty of it, it was that he would actually have cared about Julie, but then you would have seen him, like he just said, he's banging about three other students <laughs> over there, but he really cares about Julie. I want her to succeed... Well, I'm busting a nut on these three. This character had potential. Uh, did y'all notice that he had a framed black and white photo up on his living room wall of, uh-huh. him, of himself hanging with his students while he's wearing that beige Pierce Brosnan Nomad's anthropology jacket? Ooh, a little bit creepy. Well, first of all, that's classic whenever somebody has a picture in their house that's from the movie. But second, I think that was to show us how much he cared about these kids. Oh, I, I understand it, that. It was the wrong message. It was, it was the wrong message. Yak boy, your mother was a long-term high school teacher. Did she ever put any pictures up in the house of her and her students? No. Never. Never. The fact that you and I were two of her students, Kate, is not coincidental. <laughs> and I wore a Pierce Brosnan anthropologist jacket for much of my senior year. And she rightfully sent you to the principal's office for multiple violations, including wearing that jacket. No, she only got at me once, and that was falling asleep in class. She would not. She 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 did not care for that. Well, she saw you drinking malt liquor in the hallway before class. So, <laughs> where'd you get that, your son? We'll talk you can't later. That. We'll talk later. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, over at the high school. Black Roses are once again rocking the stage. This time, they don't have to put on an innocent act because there's no adults there. Damien is delivering some of his powerhouse vocals when suddenly a blast of white light shoots out from the stage, and it literally makes some poor teenage chick's skin vanish clear off her face, leaving her skull a wrinkled, leathery skeleton. With her intact eyes, I mean, it's a very... 
She almost looks like the the chick on the the morgue table in Return of Living Dead. Yeah. Then two more white laser beams fire off, and two more teenagers have their face skin sucked off too. And get this: all these skeleton kids continue headbanging with the rest of their peers, and their classmates aren't freaked out about this one bit. A good effect for what had to be a, a rather cheaply made movie, dude. The practical effects in this are solid. I mean, you just don't get that these days. Any kind of effect you're going to go CGI. Any kind of practical effects going to look like shit because your budget's probably eight grand. I it looks so cheesy. This chick and the two dudes, but it it, it warmed me in a in a sentimental nostalgic mm-hmm. sense. I I thought it looked great. Same. Mr. Morehouse is woken up from his beer-induced slumber, doctor style, by the sound of glass breaking. He's, I, have one, I have one every day. He steps outside and sees that someone has broken his car window and stuck a Black Roses poster to the side of his car. He hops in the vehicle and speeds off in hot pursuit. Yes. 146 episodes, baby. I've said the word hot pursuit. Please kill me. Please end this. Uh, he, he's chasing down whoever did it. But we know who did it, don't we, Don't we, X? Indeed we do. It was Johnny and Big Pussy's son. They're parked across the street and they smile as they watch Morehouse drive away and then they climb into Big Pussy Son's muscle car and follow him. As Morehouse drives slowly down Main Street, he can't believe the activity he's witnessing. Usually downtown Mill Basin is dead this time of night, but teenagers are hanging out smoking, drinking, making out, and the and there's random dudes in leather jackets just punching other random dudes wearing leather jackets right and left. That's when you know Troubles of Foot in Town. I said it earlier. When leather jackets are outnumbering jean jackets, shit is going south quickly in Mill Basin. Am I right, Doctor? I think the science proves it. I mean, with jean jackets, you still just have some people that are there to have fun, like to party, like to steal some beers, put it in their jean jacket and go for a walk. But once the leather jackets take over, yeah, I said it. It's a gateway jacket. (laughs) Uh, really is really is uh so mr more so mr morehouse heads over to the mayor's house uh it's weird when your main character's name has house in it to write sentences where he goes to other people's houses so morehouse heads over to the mayor's house to discuss what's happening to his students but he's greeted at the front door by the mayor's negligee wearing daughter priscilla who, like a brick outhouse who more that's that's too many houses oh okay who Morehouse used to date. She Until she graduated from high school. <laughs> what? Uh, I'm sorry. I, Until, I she aged. Until she aged out. Lost her job at the toy store. She, said, <laughs> she says that her father isn't home, so Matt starts to leave. She says, hey, whatever you're going to talk to my dad about, you can talk to me about. But when he says it's about his students, she goes nuts. She's always blamed his stupid students on their breakup, and she even throws out a little zinger about Julie, his beloved pet. You leave her out of this, Morehouse says. Snaps at her. Priscilla tells him, you know what, Matt? I dated you because I thought you were going places. 
until I realized you were just content teaching the alphabet to a bunch of little inbred morons. That's harsh. The pissed and off I had a nickel for every time I've broken up with that line. The pissed off, perfectly mustached English teacher tells her that you know what, Priscilla. Sometimes I find myself thinking like you, thinking maybe I wasted my life. I settled for less. But then I see those, quote, little students of mine, and I realize I have made a difference in their lives. At least I made an attempt. That's better than a life that means nothing. I think Ralph Waldo Emerson would be proud of him right now, don't you? Tut? Look, Priscilla, I touched my students. I asked Tut, college boy, don't you think Emerson would be proud of this? Personally, I, I I don't know about Emerson. I think Emerson is a little bit overrated. I've been more of a Thoreau guy where Emerson talked about action. Thoreau actually went to the freaking pond and acted. So I think Thoreau would be extremely satisfied with Dr. or with uh, Mr. Morehouse because Mr. Morehouse is taking action and trying to make the world a better place. Oh, yeah, come on. Really good clock radio, though. Oh, come on, Matt. Priscilla rolls her eyes. Shut up, Priscilla. Now, you know what? I'm going to go home or to a bar, whichever I pass by first. Hey, that's Atkins style. Yes. We don't see it happen. That's Atkins style. So no, Atkins style, we would have seen him in the bar, drinking vodka, smoking cigarettes, watching having a road beer. Correct. That's why I said Atkins-esque. He's not Atkins level. If he was Atkins-esque, he would have done something close to that. He would have. We would have just seen a scene of him getting in his car to leave as he's cracking open a beer five, five, as he goes to the five, bar. Five, five, five. All right. Well, here's some trivia for your ass. Priscilla was played by Carla Ferrigno, Lou Ferrigno's wife. Of many, There's many- just so much going on here that I was not expecting. Yeah, it's Lou Ferrigno's wife. That's an odd thing to say. All right. Oh, and get this. While they were talking, shouting at each other downstairs, her mayor dad was home the whole time Matt was there. After he leaves, he's like, "Who was that? what's going on, Priscilla? <laughs> so he's at Gonzesk. He was shit-faced. He hears all that shouting. He's like, what the hell's going on? Down well, no. Mayor Farnsworth was acting as he was shit-faced, and she's just a bitch. She wouldn't let Matt talk to her dad. And she was sure was comfortable calling someone else a loser, Matt, when she's in her mid-30s still living at home with her dad. I thought you were going places. I thought you were somebody this. You know what? I'm just going to go up to my child bedroom and live at this house that my parents. <laughs> What's she done that's so special? She's a war machine. Now, granted, I I don't want Lou Ferrigno to come after me, so that was a <laughs> character she was playing. You don't want that dude mad at you. No, I do not. So John Johnny finally gets home after a long night of hell raising, and just as he lights up a cigarette in bed to go to sleep, he doesn't give a shit what his barbershop dad thinks anymore. He would never light a cigarette before then. The hot female guitar player from Black Roses crawls naked through his bedroom window and starts riding the 20-year-old teenager like a cross-eyed sea biscuit. I'll say this. He actually was 28 years old in this movie. (laughs) And I watched John Fasano's movie 
that he did before this zombie nightmare, which is really fun too. And Johnny plays a grizzled police detective in that movie a year before this movie, where he's a high school kid. And he's and he's actually much more like more likable and better in that. And his police captain in Zombie Nightmare is Adam West. No, oh, okay. Wow, I'm gonna have to see that. Oh no, it it's on Tubi and it is awesome. Uh, again, great practical effects. Uh, don't look for more than uh, just 80 minutes of fun and Adam West. A cigar chomping Adam West, which Ooh. is awesome. You, you need say no more. Uh, and I'm sorry for calling him a cross-eyed sea biscuit. That wasn't, that wasn't nice. See, I'm growing. I apologize. Unlike Dean Cameron, I'm apologizing during the show for my slams. Uh, <laughs> Once you've said something, you've kind of said it. But anyway, anyway uh, it's important. You're Yes, growth. A few blocks away, Janie and Tina show up around 11 p.m. over at Janie's house, just as Mr. Miller is chastising his young son for throwing his DC superpowers hero figures in the fireplace. See, the little kid had a Black Roses album blaring on the stereo, so he only likes bad guys now, so he's throwing Superman and Aquaman into the fireplace. Here's the thing, though. That dad acts so surprised. Hey, what are you doing up? <laughs> I'm right here in front of you. The music is blasting in front of you. I'm burning these action figures in front of you. The guy just didn't give a shit about his kid. But, dude, I got taken back. We talked about movies that capture our, our childhood. I had all those superpowers figures. They were expensive, I, too. You can't throw I, those things in the fire. Dude, when I saw that Batman with the blue cloth cape, I was like, I was immediately taken back to Christmas when I got those things. Like, dude, that's the things that like Stranger Things and a lot of retro uh, 80s stuff doesn't give you just those little things that they don't mean anything. You know, you can talk about new Coke and, you know, Duran Duran on the ra- all you want. But until you see those action figures that you actually played with. It was a nice touch. Dude, I, had I, all the I see it was a nice power. touch, but it wasn't a nice touch. It was actually shit that was around back then yeah. to, to, to capture the time. Yeah, I loved the suit. That was big time, you know, the superpowers figures in elementary school. Yeah, big time. Uh, dude, I've got... <laughs> yeah, I was like, elementary school? I've still got one of those superpowers figures up here. I mean, not that I know who that is or anything, but... Steppenwolf with the authentic masturbating motion. (laughs) Is that what you do when we're not around? He's he's hanging out here. But dude, this was one of those from that exact same toys that he was playing with. Yes, we we see it. He does like he's... (laughs) Anyway... Guest appearance by Steppenwolf. A few blocks away, Jane. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tina is locked out of her uh, house. So Mr. Miller suggests, well, let's all play a game of gin until your parents get home. This guy's another father of the year. Not only did he not realize his son was listening to heavy metal music, the kid's like 10 years old and burning his toys in the fireplace right in front of him. But now he's staying up late playing cards with his daughter and her hot friend. Mm-hmm. Strip poker. 
He's playing strip poker no, with not yet, Janie. Yet. Not yet, yet. When Janie says, his daughter says, you know what? I'm wasted. I'm going to bed. That doesn't set off any red flags for him. Uh, <laughs> Tina suggests that she and Mr. Miller raise the stakes and play strip gin. Strip gin, he mutters. Oh, I'm sure you know the rules, she purrs. Well, actually, Tina, I do. Oh, boy. Oh, and a few blocks away from the Miller house, Big Pussy's son plows over his poor mom who's taking out the trash with his muscle car as he's pulling the driveway. There's a lot going on this night in Mill Basin, folks, so try to keep up with me. We go back then to Johnny's house. After they have sex, the Black Rose's guitar player literally disappears into thin air from his bed. And I'm sure after making love to Johnny, anybody wishes they could disappear into thin air. And a smiling, satisfied Johnny then gets up and goes and grabs his dad's revolver. I love you, dad, he says, as he blows his pop's brains out. Then we cut back to the Miller house. Cue the rockin' King Cobra song, Take It Off. Man, what a song. Where Janie's dad is now stripped down to his boxers and undershirt while Tina is removing her black pantyhose. When he announces happily that he has gin. Tina tells him he's won the game. So she takes her top off and proceeds to dry hump him to death. I didn't know. exactly. I, I guess she bit his neck and that's she what takes off her, to... She takes off her top. We'll see her boobs. She gets on top of this asshole and we hear his heartbeat on the soundtrack racing and then it just stops. I'm not sure what happened there exactly. That was enough for the old fucker. I mean, he just his keel over. Doctor, have you ever seen a case of death from dry humping? Seen it? No. Lived it? <laughs> I'm still here. Yes, but based <laughs> on the ages that we've already established for the adults in this film, this man was clearly our age. <laughs> God. He's younger than us. Younger than us. <laughs> no, he's older. He's he's like twenty all, years older. All in favor of Yak, stop saying that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right, let me uh, read. Like all, all you got to do is chug another beer and go play with your superpowers action figures. Won't matter. <laughs> hey, I still have one. Yes, but he's, it's supposed to be his. It's supposed to be his. You know, electric axe. Which isn't a guitar reference. It's actually an axe. I I, I lost his his accessories about <sighs> forty years ago. <laughs> Ted, uh, what are you smoking for your follow up cigar? Uh, I uh, jumped up a level with the uh, Whiskey Rebellion, the Grand Perfecto. Oh, from Rumblecraft. That's a yes. that's a powerhouse. Uh, it is. It is the total opposite of the Rose of Sharon. Absolutely. Uh, I actually did the same. I'm smoking a Nika Rustica from Drew Estate, which is a broadleaf bully. It is going to kick my ass, and that's kind of what I want after. Uh, I like to I like to go from one cigar to the total polar opposite. Um, Yaks, are you still going strong on that Rose of Sharon? No, no, no. This is a Diamond Crown. A Diamond Crown from J.C. Newman. How's it smoking? Very good. 
I'm liking it. I mean, I'm, I'm burning through this one really fast. Excellent. Okay. Well, the next morning in class, Mr. Morehouse walks in the room and finds that all of his students are now wearing black and leather leopard skin clothing, and none of them, even Julie, pay him any attention whatsoever. When he insists they spend some time talking about the transcendentalism school of thinking, Janie snaps her pencil in half and asks loudly why they have to study about all these dead writers when there's a current living poet who can write rings around these dead guys, Damien. All of her classmates, led by Johnny, who now looks like Andrew McCarthy after a week without sleep, start beating on their desks, chanting, Damien, Damien, Damien. Morehouse tries to get them to write an in-class essay, but when he sees their glazed-over yet intense look in their eyes, he runs off to call the mayor. When he informs Mayor Farnsworth that Mr. Miller and Big Pussy's wife are both dead, the mayor asks, bad tickers? To which Morehouse responds, no, mayor, bad kids, bad music. But it's bad news, Neil. He pleads with the mayor to come with him to the concert that night as he's convinced that black roses are brainwashing his kids' minds. But the mayor says, I agree with Priscilla, his daughter. Matt, you seem to be taking a much too concerned role here as their teacher lately. And if you just come by the house tomorrow, I'll help you get back together with Priscilla. That will solve everything. And then the mayor hangs up on him. Some truly heroic music begins to play as Mr. Morehouse grabs his briefcase and tweed blazer and speeds off to the local library. Oh, my God, this music. Whenever Matt does something propelling him forward, they play this epic, heroic uh, music. Would have been better if he'd gone to a bar to drink and smoke. And he would have gained so much points, Doctor. Agreed. Janie has been summoned to the school counselor's office where he's concerned about her well-being, seeing as how her father just kicked the bucket. He asks her what does she think would help as far as releasing her emotions, and she asks if she could just scream out his office window. I think that would help. The counselor agrees that this is indeed a good thing to do. In fact, he says he's often considered adding screaming as part of his own therapy methods. But when the old, the odd old man cracks open the window, Janie's face suddenly transforms into the face of a demon, and she pushes the chest plane shrink out the two-story window. He screams like hell as he falls down two stories until he lands with a splat in the back of a pickup truck. Great scream, Janie says as she giggles from the windowsill. Doctor, do you think there's any chance this guy's playing chess again anytime soon? I think it's far too early to tell, but no, no I think he's a goner. He's he's. Was it like, the was it the splat? It was the splat. Yeah, uh, there's no chess playing in his future. I think whenever you take somebody to the emergency room and they're like, "All right, so what happened?" and your description includes a splat. They're like, here's what happened. He got pushed out of a window. He hit the okay. ground. He made a <laughs> noise when he hit the ground. Oh yeah. Um, you're like, uh. Yeah. By the way, I, I really wanted that sound effect in this thing. Just like, <laughs> you know what makes so she uh, Janie laughs and admires his scream. Do you know what makes me scream, Tut? Oh, what's that? That's right. 
Drew State Cigars. I scream, you scream, we all fucking scream for Drew Estate Cigars. And one of their tastiest offerings is the Herrera Esteli Miami, crafted by level nine Cuban rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Cale Ocho. The Herrera Esteli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Esteli Miami features rich black and gold packaging and is available in five sizes. We smoked the cigar earlier this year. We gave it a 91. If you like strong spice on the nose and a really unique cedar profile on the draw, you should seek this out as quickly as possible. It's one of Willie Herrera's masterpieces. So jump in your car or jump online right now and get your hands on some. Go to Famous Smoke Shop. Use promo code TNCC20. Get you 20 bucks off a box right now. So what are you waiting for? Do it. Drew Estate Herrera Esteli does not go. It does not make a splat sound on your palate. It makes a bright impression on your palate. And while we're talking about really cool stuff, I'd also like to take a hot minute once again to tell you about something very cool. Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab, a.k.a. the Doctor's Domain. The doctor's domain. You can sign up and give your input on new cigars by taking surveys. Survey. And testing actual cigars. Doctor, doctor, you got any, you got any Venn diagrams going on in there? I I love the results of a good survey. Venn diagrams. Check it out at cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab. And if you go to cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab forward slash the doctor, you get to go into his own private testing lab. And doctor, I hear things can get a little intense in there. Hands on. Drew, can you really go to my testing lab on the internet? It is the toy store of the cigar world. FBI surveillance. I, uh, Need to go ahead and make a disclaimer that this is all news to me. I was not aware that it. Oh, of course not. Just just go to cigarworld.com forward slash testing lab and you'll be fine. You'll be totally fine. Speaking of research, that night Mr. Morehouse is entrenched at the public library reading every book he can find on witchcraft and magic. Before the internet. I love pre-internet movies because where are you going to go when you learn shit? The library. The library. I love, I love a good library montage. Thing. I love libraries. I love them. I grew up in them. I, man, I just, I just I, love. The only thing he didn't do, which I love in these movies, is go through some microfiche. Scroll through <laughs> the thing. That would have been really good. That. Or as Tut said, a montage where he uses the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, like you show him through the card catalog, knowing what he's doing. Was Dewey Decimal a superpower? You know, like you, you know, when Damien mentioned yes. the, the earlier concert, this is when he would have been going through the microfish, looking through the newspapers of trying to find what happened previously. Correct. And if he was Atkins esque, he would have been ignoring all library rules by smoking a cigarette and drinking. Yes, yeah. Yes. Sleep all night, sleep all day. And to your, to your point, Doctor Dewey Decimal was not a, deuce, a DC superhero. Uh, 
he actually he was introduced in an episode and was quickly knocked out by Steppenwolf knocked with his with his sig- with his signature move. Knocked out or snapped off? I'll let you be the judge. <laughs> I say it every episode. I'll say it again. If you folks are not watching us on YouTube, you're missing out. Uh, okay. Or extremely intelligent. We don't know which. <laughs> it's far too soon to tell, perhaps. Missing out. Missing out. Uh, Matt's furiously taking notes uh, when Julie creeps up behind him and taps him on the shoulder. A startled Mr. Morehouse asks if she's going to the concert tonight with Johnny as he sees that weirdo leering at him over by the card catalog. Julie says Johnny means nothing to her. When Matt asks her how she can keep going to the same concert night after night, she says that it's never the same as she's constantly finding new meaning in Damien's lyrics that speak to her on a very personal level. She says, as she rubs her finger down Matt's neck, that if that he, if anybody, should understand this, as he's probably read Leaves of Grass a hundred times. She's also calling him Matthew now, which makes the English teacher very uncomfortable. Doctor, how many times have you read Leaves of Grass? Uh, like actually gone out and, and picked up a leaf of grass and read it? Or read no, 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 the, 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 the poem. Oh, never. Tell you ever? No. Yaks? I think I read it once. Not right. not the actual collected work, but like a few poems. That's about it. I don't remember any of them. No, that's enough. We're cultured. We're, we're cultured. We're full. Uh, I consider myself a man of letters, but I am not much into poetry. Matthew tells Julie he just doesn't, he just doesn't want to see her screw up her chances for a scholarship. She's worked so hard. Uh, who cares, she says, she sighs. I care. I like you, Julie. Well, liking isn't good enough anymore, Matt. I need something more from you. And I know why you pull away from me. It's her. Look, he says, there's no one in my life right now but myself. And that's way more than I can handle, he argues. That's a good line. It's a good line. Julie huffs and storms off. Johnny gives his teacher an evil smile and the devil horns as he follows Julie out of the library. A little bit later, Damien takes the stage wearing a black cape. That's new. As all the teens in the audience chant his name repeatedly, but now quietly. Damien, Damien, Damien. This is no longer a concert, boys. It's a church. Damien, the church's high satanic priest, tosses the cape into the crowd and begins speaking to them in a deep demonic voice now. You you are the black roses, the flowers of evil. You have been chosen to smite the soil with the sword of pain. We are one with things that prey and one with what we kill. Victim and I and thou are one. He raises his fist in Our the air. Yeah. on Infowars.com. <laughs> Meanwhile, go to Infowars.com. I've got the greatest whole grain <laughs> supplements. My Damien did sound a lot like my Alex Jones. <laughs> 13 sensual amino acids. Hail Satan. You get it all. Hail Satan. 
Bill said. But dude, as he raises his fist in the air, as his, his eyeballs turn all white, let's make blood sing. And his teenage disciples go nuts. Wow. We're at a different level now. Tut, did you ever see Travis Tritt do anything similar to this on stage when you toured with him back in the late 90s? Every fucking night. (laughs) (laughs) There was a, a person born to wear leather fringe. Travis Tritt. What in the name of Randy Travis? <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly expected a different answer from you, but uh, okay. Um, did As I pour another beer, did everyone's beers, uh, I, I got the feeling they all complimented the scar just fine. Didn't they? Absolutely. Yes. Good choice. Good choice. Okay. Good, good, good. Uh, while all this is going on in the auditorium, Julie is in her bedroom where she's rubbing her titties and occasionally moving her hands below the equator, if you catch my drift, as she stands in front of a candlelit shrine she's made to Damien. The fact that they don't ever show her head in the same scene as her titties, I'm guessing those are stunt titties. Probably so. But it's still, titties. at this point... You're sitting here going, I'm looking at a teenager. No, no, no. I'm looking at someone who's my age. No, no. It's implied. My Ajax, my You're looking Ajax. at a naked teenager. We are all She's up for a scholarship, yeah. She's 18. She's of age. I'm transported back to my youth. We don't She's, know that. There's 17 year olds who are seniors. Why? Why of all movies are you going this direction now, Yax? I mean, <laughs> a, gaz- a gazillion bikini car wash movies. You never said anything about those high school chicks. They weren't high school chicks. Those were college. <sighs> Was stunt titties listed in the credits? Look, boys, I've seen this a thousand times before. A lot of chicks that I either dated or that desperately wanted to date me in high school created similar shrines in my honor where they pleasured themselves regularly. It, it's a thing. I, 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 this rang true to me. I, I, I get that. Um, she then pulls up her lingerie over her legal age boobies and struts out to the den where her piece of shit stepdad is chugging Budweiser's and watching TV while mom is serving up some late night greasy burgers across town. He's never seen Julie dressed or rather undressed quite like this. Whoa, is that you? Why don't you sit down and watch some TV with me? He says. She starts massaging his shoulders. Oh, yeah, you sure do know how to take care of your old stepdad, don't you? He says right before Julie bashes him repeatedly over the head with an enormous fucking ashtray. I think we can all agree so far that all the adults who've been killed have kind of deserved it, right? At least a little bit. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, they've been disgusting. This guy, total douchebag. Well, Mr. except for big pussy. I Mr. mean, he, he was homophobic, but, you know, yeah. it was the 80s. It was the 80s, I guess. No, it's, it's still wrong, but... I'm sure that guy would show some growth as the decades rolled on. 
I'm okay with everybody that's dying so far. Uh, and then we match cut a glorious, I love a good match cut from the stepdad's bloody mustache face lying on the floor to Mr. Morehouse's mustache face the next morning as it's laying on the library desk as the sun hits his eyes and he wakes up. Dude, that was a great match cut. One mustache face to another mustache face. Bravo. Is it just me or should they have called this town Mustache Basin? Every dude, every dude in this movie has a mustache. Millstache. Matt Morehouse can't believe that he slept through the entire concert, and his thoughts immediately go towards Julie's well-being. So his cheesy-ass hero theme music starts playing as he drives over to her house to check on her. Julie's mom answers the door and explains that she's waiting on the police to arrive because when she got off the work at the diner at 3 a.m., she found her husband dead in a pool of blood, and there was no sign of Julie. Mr. Morehouse drives over to the mayor's house then, but there's no sign of him or his daughter Priscilla, so he spins out his tires in a crazy U-turn out front and takes off once again. How could he not burn rubber with his hero music playing? You, you kind of have to. Kind of mandatory and expected. This music was epic. You think he heard it? Like... I think with that mustache, he hears it every day. His mustache is picking up low frequency. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, over at the Mill Basin Country Club, Priscilla has just got done with her tennis lessons and is on her way back to where she lives at her parents' house. When she gets in her Pontiac to drive back home and Julie pops up in the back seat. But Priscilla isn't shocked by it at all. Oh, you're one of Matt's little students, his teacher's pet. Julie just smiles and then reaches up and slits Priscilla's neck. Which, by the way, you get to see it digging. Dude, she like Taliban saws it. Yeah. Yeah, she's sawing it. It's ISIS style and blood squirts out all over the place. Julie's changed. I don't know if she's getting that scholarship. No. I don't know at this point. Maybe to Stephen F. Austin, but nowhere else. (laughs) Probably. Or the Atlanta bartending school, which I did not get into. (laughs) Not bitter. Not bitter. I'm not happy, but I'm not bitter. Do you want to go on record? I'd like to go on the record and say when I applied to the Atlanta school bartending at the age of 14, which I did. I watched Cocktail. I hated my home life, so I filled out an application. I was going to go to Atlanta and learn how to bartend like Tom Cruise and start a new life. And for some reason, at 14, they did not accept me. (laughs) I'm not happy. I'm not happy. But I'm not. For the record, I understand, Doctor. For the record. Second case tonight of age discrimination. That probably would have been a bad move for them to accept. (laughs) But maybe we could sue for age Ageism? I mean, you just wanted to work. Who are they to say you couldn't have been a prodigy bartender? The federal I, government. This is me off. I'm going to get to the bottom of it, Kate. I think you've been robbed. Anyway, back to the movie. I'm just I'm going to I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to settle some things. What does that say about me? That in the same episode, get on the record. 
what does that say about me? In the same episode, I admitted I was playing with DC superhero action figures. And then literally five or six years later, I was applying to the Atlanta School of Bartending. <laughs> it says nothing. I think it says average red blooded male. American. I actually think it says a lot about me, but uh, now now is not the time or the venue for that discussion. Mister Morehouse swings by his house. Uh, he's probably going to change into that long sleeve shirt into another long sleeve shirt, just as his phone is ringing. It's the mayor, Mayor Farnsworth. A very sad Mayor Farnsworth, as he tells Matt there was an accident and Priscilla's car caught on fire and she's dead. Before Matt can wrap his head around that news, there's a knock at the front door. And you guessed it, it's Julie. She's wearing heavy eye makeup now and a form-fitting black leather jacket. She tells him that she's brought him a present herself. I was expecting her to bring out the head. I really was. I, I got to agree with Chai. Oh, you mean Priscilla's head? Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> I brought you a present. Well, we now see. we could be together. You need to go back to the bar shooting school. I need to go with you because I was thinking the same thing Kate was. <laughs> when, yeah, I was like, I, she actually does go there in a minute. I don't know what you guys are talking about. You got ahead of the game. Yeah, no, I actually did think she would pull out Priscilla's severed head, but no, she does not. Uh. She says Matthew must know that she's always loved him. You mean you love me like a father, right? But that's not right, is it, Yex? It is not. And then she shoves her tongue down her teacher's throat, despite his persistent pleas that this is all so very wrong. Then she rips off her jacket to reveal yet another pair of perky stunt boobs, which, by the way, if you look at those nipples, it's a very different pair of stunt boobs than were <laughs> in her bedroom. I didn't really analyze it that close. So what you're saying is they used a different person? If you're paying close attention, which I was as a responsible <laughs> podcast host, I, I'm delegated to pay attention to these things. Yes, those, those boobs, because we never see her face and her boobs in the same shot. Those boobs were a different pair of boobs than the first pair of boobs that we saw at first. Uh, I only do that to be a trusty, uh, valued narrator for these stories. Hmm. That's why I rewound it 20 times. Julie tells him that she's taking care of everything so they can always be together. And then she drops to her knees and starts breathing heavily while Mr. Matthew Morehouse just kind of stands there. Let it happen, Matt. Let it okay. happen. You know what? I think Ralph Waldo Emerson will want me to see where this is going. No, he doesn't say that. He reached as she reaches for a zipper. Julie, no. Matt snaps out of it and gives her a good slap across the face. She's being very aggressive. At this point, she needs that. Better late than never, I suppose. I mean, he did let her drop to his knees and like do a bunch of stuff, but finally he comes to his senses. Back firmly in concerned teacher mode, Mr. Morehouse bends over to apologize and help his star pupil up. But when she turns around, Julie now has demonic fangs jutting out of her deformed mouth and a purple glow has formed around her hand as it transforms into a sharpened devil dog claw. The glow then overtakes her entire body. And before we and Matt know it, 
Julie is now a fully formed and very hideous demon. Doctor, if Mr. Morehouse was going to push basic ethics and all local laws aside and fool around with Julie, he probably should have done it about two minutes ago, correct? Uh, two days ago, three, four days ago, whenever. But yeah, it's it's too late now. Yeah, it's too late. It's too late now. It Once is, he has assumed demon form, he is, it's it's far too late. It is far too late now. It is too late now. It's too late. Surely, he can't change his mind now, or can he? No, of course he can't. She's a full fledged hose beast now. Matt begins whacking her across the face with a tennis racket repeatedly, as she growls and snarls at him. Until the racket strings get caught in her gremlin fingernails. So then he starts punching Demon Julie in the face. And when that doesn't have any effect, he shoves a tennis ball in her mouth, which also does nothing. Their battle moves into the kitchen. And when she shoves him down, breaking a bar stool, Mr. Morehouse grabs one of the sharp broken legs of the stool and drives it repeatedly into Demon Julie's heart, finally slaying the she-beast. He slumps back. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck indeed. What a crazy scene this was. And it had some really fun, crazy, practical effects. Mm-hmm. You, you could tell the way they filmed it. It was just the, the top part of the demon with a guy with pu- doing puppetry underneath it. They never showed the bottom. But the way they filmed it, I loved it. I, it was fun. You guys dig it? Yeah, I thought it was fun. I, mean, I did. I, absolutely. The movie was fun, so I, I was on board. It, th- this movie has just some great practical creature effects which we'll never get again and kudos to this movie which had probably zero budget they actually pulled the shit off that's, that's the one thing well, I, was, I was waiting for the scene after he he killed her to like her like transform back into human julie yeah and then he'd be like, ah, now i gotta bury her in the backyard like the others yeah i mean e- evil dead style <laughs> Well, Matt... Lori looks around, he's all... (laughs) She's back in human form. Oh, no. I think... Time for me me to take a trip to the toy store. I think... I think any time you're about to do something with a sexual sexual nature and these words escape your mouth, all right, she's returned to human form. That that might be reason to pause. <laughs> Slow down. And get your ass back to the toy store. <laughs> I'm not saying this is me. I'm just throwing this out there for general consumption. I'm just saying if you're gonna fuck the fuck Manicus, you better make sure she's in human form first. He missed his shot. He missed his shot. Matt Sons Hero theme music. Which, by the way, we should, we should give this guy credit. He never does anything inappropriate with Julie. He does never. As much as Priscilla and his and Julie's classmates, as much as everybody gives him shit, he has shown nothing to us but just an actual affection for a, a star student who, out of all these schlubs, might actually go on to do something with their life. He seems like an up-and-up teacher, am I right? He does. Yeah, and, I guess. Until he paused at that toy store. <laughs> well, Matt, sans hero music, which was odd, they didn't play it here, 
drives over to the local gas station where he fills up a plastic container with gas and buys a handful of road flares. He's a man with a plan now. If you can't save your beloved students, torch them. Okay. Night falls, and the teenagers of Mustache Basin file into the high school auditorium once again, and Mr. Morehouse sneaks in right behind them, wearing a bright red, blindingly bright red, puffy vest, which is sure not to catch anybody's eye in a sea of kids wearing all black. I got to get in there and make it low key. Let me get this giant fire red vest on. You should have worn the anthropologist vest, if nothing else. The only piece of clothing they had for sale at the toy store. Well, why didn't he wear something black? He would have totally blended in. He doesn't own anything black. Uh, he has no darkness. He can tell you why, but he's going to give you a lot of Ralph Waldo Emerson quotes. Too much goddamn Walt Whitman for me. Damien takes the stage. <laughs> Sorry. Damien takes the stage and throws his fringe leather jacket into the audience as he commands his loyal flock to worship their new master. Adore me, my flowers, my children of evil. Well, curiously, Mr. Morehouse then chooses to walk straight down the aisle of the auditorium in plain sight of the army of teens waving their hands in the air as they all pledge allegiance to Damien. Matt just doesn't give a shit anymore, I guess. The quickest way to where you want to go is a straight line. He doesn't even try to sneak through these guys. He just walks right through them. Uh, Oh, and also, curiously, when Morehouse reaches the side of the stage and begins pouring gas on it, he notices that Julie is at the front of the stage, drooling all over Damien, fully restored into her human form. So he didn't kill her. She survived. Before he can empty the gas can, Damien spots Matt and commands Johnny and Big Pussy's son to capture him, which they easily do. The English teachers drag before Damien on stage, and all the children of evil begin to chant, fight, fight, fight over and over again because evil or not they're still teenagers and that's what you do when two two dudes are getting into it you you say fight over and over again what did you do to my kids you son of a bitch damien's talking normal now your kids no matt you had your chance now they're mine damien's eyes turn pure red as he lets out a hearty devil laugh what the hell? An exasperated Matt gasps as Carmine apiece and the female guitarist hold him back. Yes, hell, Damien responds as he pulls off his long-ass wig, revealing that he now has a bald head. Okay. Well, it makes sense why he went from short hair, long hair, to short hair, to long hair. He's wearing a wig. The whole time. It was so obvious. I guess. Is it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. Then Matt and us watch with dropped jaws as Damien and his bandmates transform into various types of demons, with the lead singer's new look being by far the most disturbing. When fully formed, he looks like a cross between an enormous upright lizard creature and the Rancor monster from Return of the Jedi, if the Rancor if Return of the Jedi was directed by Roger Corman and not George Lucas. I, I thought more the Gamorrean guard. 
Kind of that. Also, yeah. kind of uh, what is yeah. Yak Boy? What was the bounty hunter Bosk or Bosk? Yes, that that lizard uh, Empire Strikes. He was just kind of this upright lizard thing with these big fang. He was crazy looking. Look, he, he was a demon. They take on multiple forms. Uh, they I do- really don't know why why Morehouse was like freaked out about this versus Julie turning into a fucking demon in his kitchen. I mean, why is he like? freaked out well, a second time well this demon is way bigger and way more powerful than what he saw with julie morehouse easily you know, like son of godzilla anybody ever saw that one? there's a little bit of godzilla in there yeah. too son of godzilla son of son of yeah morehouse easily punches out the demon guitar players and the demon drummer but gigantic roaring damien starts clobbering him with his humongous arms and claws Matt grabs Carmina Pisa's giant mallet that he used to hit the gong symbol with and starts smacking Demian Damien with it. They fight back and forth for a while until Matt is able to grab one of his road flares. He throws Julie off the stage to safety, kicks Demon Damien in the balls, but there's no balls there anymore. It's just all smooth. But still, Damien's like, oh, my old, where my balls used to be. And then Matt says, Shows over and sets the stage on fire. Good one-liner. Good one-liner. As the demon howls in anger and pain as the flames grow stronger and stronger around him, all the teenagers flee the auditorium screaming. But get this. Damien's bandmates, which are all all full-blown, like, hardcores now, they just grab their instruments and start dancing around the stage with them rather than attempt to escape the blaze. I guess fire doesn't mean shit if you're literally from hell, right? Well, I was going to say, you're demons from hell, so what's fire supposed to do? It's not holy fire. Outside, the mayor finally shows up along with a couple of fire trucks, and they all start helping the kids evacuate the smoke-filled school. Matt tells the mayor, just let it burn once all the kids are safe. We see a fireman restraining a screaming Johnny who keeps asking where his father is. So I guess now they are officially released from Damien's mind control. He doesn't remember killing his dad. The mayor tells Matt, you're right all along. Uh, You think so, asshole? There's a bunch of goddamn demons up on stage. Yeah. If he'd been Atkins-esque, he would have lit up a smoke from the fire, taken a huge drag, flicked it, and said, I forget the whole thing, mayor. Let's go get a drink. I need a drink. No, he you know what he said, Doctor? Halloween 3 style. It's going to drink. Send in the Marines. Send in the Marines. It's going to drink. <laughs> I created this mess. Send in the Marines. We cut to Mr. Morehouse's house. That's such a weird thing to say. We cut to Matt Morehouse's house many months later, where he and the mayor are smoking stogies and chugging Miller High Lives. Dude, that was kind of cool. It was. I enjoyed that. There's an impressive sea of empty bottles on the coffee table, too. Maybe this guy was more Atkins-esque than you guys wanted to give him. He's I mean, smoking. Like my well, body. he's had many months to absorb the shock of what happened and to fall into the well of despair. Now he has Atkins-like tendencies. He's yes. doctor-esque. We're not quite uh, Atkins-esque. Halloween 3, Dr. Callis loved his Miller High Life, and here Matt Morehouse is hanging out with the mayor, smoking stogies, drinking Miller High Life. 
When he puts a six pack of them on a pay telephone as he's driving out of town, then we'll talk. <laughs> All of a sudden, the news anchor on TV announces that the Black Roses have arrived in New York City today for a five day concert swing after a six month hiatus. In fact, they've sold out Madison Square Garden and are headed to Great Britain on their just announced world tour after that. Matt and the mayor look at each other. As the chick says, a record-breaking half million fans are predicted to attend these shows. Fade to black, fade to the picture of Damien on the TV screen, the end. But I was really hoping for like the Atkinesque Halloween 3 ending where he's just screaming into the telephone, you've got to stop the concert. You know that was coming next, obviously. I'm going to tell you two things I love about this flick in particular. It's my opinion. I think there's a lot here to love. But here's two things that I really love. This felt a lot like my favorite film of all time, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And I don't see many movies, if any, that remind me of that masterpiece. You have the mustached, high-life-drinking hero, of course. We've already gone over that. The nihilistic bummer of an ending. You think it's over, but it's going to get much, much worse. A very charismatic bad guy, much like Halloween 3. But you also have a crazy global threat initially orchestrated specifically towards targeting America's vulnerable youth. And no one is interested in listening to Matthew Morehouse because of how crazy it sounds. Okay. H3, Halloween 3, had a better hero, I would say the best hero in cinematic history, with the character of Dr. Dan Chalice. Better cinematography by the best cinematographer to ever look into a camera, Dean Cundy. And a much better score composed by the almighty John Carpenter. But nonetheless, I did get a very cool H3 vibe from Black Roses. And one has to appreciate that it gave us a bunch of titties and horny drunk dads. And H3 didn't give us any of those things. <laughs> True. So where they felt where he fell short on the Atkins level and some other things, we got to see some titties and we got at least two really classic drunk dads. I don't know. I just I just had fun with it. I thought it was a fun little movie. I go with that. I I only watched it once, so I never made it. I love Halloween three, but I never made any connection parallels, anything like that. I go. I did. I, I love the, 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 the worldwide global threat targeting kids. That that's kind of where it started. And then obviously with that mustache, I kind of drew some parallels, but, but I also loved how this film took the premise that what some closed minded parents feared all along from heavy metal in the eighties we can't let our kids listen to this stuff. It's evil. It's evil. They took the premise was that was not only true, but much fucking worse. Like this movie would have made Tipper Gore's head explode <laughs> because it's like, Oh, you, you think heavy metal is going to influence your kids. They went to that on steroids to where not only is it going to influence your kids, it's going to actually turn them into satanic demon dogs. And I kind of like that. They just went for it and they went for it big. Yeah, yeah, I like things that go for it. I like I like movies that swing big and with with the actual really good effects they had. I think they they nailed it. 
Well, they I just, caught something too from the the times. We talked about trick or treat and and uh, it was a pure know. movie of its time, and they actually just went nutso with it. And I'll just say it again: I cannot believe that I never knew of this movie growing up. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that just how under the radar it went. And the thing is, Doctor, as as you know, we grew up in video stores renting these things. Apparently, the Black Roses VHS tape was one of those rare tapes that had the textured, uh, you know, those like Dead Pit and some of those movies that had the the kind of textured 3D VHS boxes. Yeah. Apparently, this one had a very much kind of stylized VHS. How did we miss this thing? Well, folks, I think this was a logical somehow follow-up to our uh, first film in our March to Halloween. We did a horror comedy. Now we did a un, uh, highly unsung, unsung uh, really fun flick uh, from the heyday of a, uh, 80s horror. Um, I'm glad that we uh, got to dig into this one. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Who knows what we'll do next? Uh, yeah, tune in to see. But until then, uh, we'll be back in two weeks. And Tut, if you'd be so kind to give our listeners and viewers some links that might be okay. useful to them moving forward. Um, all right. So join us on Twitter at TNCCCast. You can join us on Instagram at TNCC underscore podcast. You can uh, follow us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. And you can definitely subscribe to us on YouTube, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. And if you want to buy uh, a bunch of the Desert Rose as shown on tonight, you can go to uh, com, click on the Famous Smoke Shop banner. Uh, it will get you $20 off on an order of uh, $100 or more. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty damn good deal. It's a great deal. Um, so definitely go do that. Definitely, uh, if, if you like a good, smooth smoking cigar, I, I can't recommend the, any variation of the Rose of Sharon enough. Uh, if you want a little bit of kick, go Desert Rose. If you just want smooth sailing with a lot of flavors and complexity, go to the Rose of Sharon. And they're all available at a really amazing price point. So big thumbs up to tonight's cigar. Big time. Everybody's beers worked out well for them. Big time. Good job. Good job, Tars. Which was not the case last week. Uh, we did much better this week. So uh, pat ourselves on the back. And uh, we will see you folks again um, in two weeks to continue this on. And then we will conclude, little uh, heads up, we will conclude our 2021 March to Halloween with the new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills. Uh, That will be our, uh, our last entry into this. I'm very excited and curious where they're going to go with the new Halloween movie and We'll do our best to do our own spin on it. So that'll be fun. But we got one more for you before then. Who knows where we'll go next? So uh, stay tuned. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Sayonara, motherfuckers. Good night. You know, folks, I was once the lead singer in a satanic rock and roll band back in the 80s. We called ourselves the Devil's Ball Sack. And if I'm being truthful here, we weren't very good. Our typical crowd consisted of two or three 50-year-old bar skanks and a bunch of gay guys. And I only say that because 
We only had two gigs, and they were both at the same bar, and the bar was literally named Two Bar Skanks and a Bunch of Gay Guys. Seriously, uh, they thought it would be a good way to market things in rural Wyoming. I don't know why, but they did. I blame our bass player, because his guitar was shaped like a pair of balls, and the, the neck of the guitar was, well, you can visualize things from there, right? I thought we were going to be the next Slayer, but we ended up playing only the two shows, and after our last gig, our drummer was arrested for flashing his ball sack at the cashier at an Arby's drive through window. Hey, better to burn out than to fade away, am I right? Man, have I lived an interesting life or what? So, uh, hail Satan, and don't show your nutsack at Arby's. Oh yeah, and uh, also... To learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit southerndrawcigars.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.